Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day now promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Yes, Lord God. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my sister that you've given us, Lord, that we get to uplift the name of Jesus, that we get to do your will, Lord, that we get to be edified by your word, and may we digest it, Lord, that it might give us the peaceable fruit. Yes, Jesus. I pray for those who are, oh, are going to be in attendance today. I pray for those who uh, are not here today but are going through so much. I pray for our sister Elaine, Lord, for all that she's going through and all that's happening with her. Lord, how she's sick and how her dad is dealing with cancer. I pray in the name of Jesus name of that you Jesus. curse that spirit of cancer, yes, that it comes off of her, Lord, that she be set free. Thank you, I pray for my brother James with the confusion that the enemy is trying to throw his way, Lord, that he keeps his mind clear. Yes, I pray for my sister Melissa and her children, Lord, and what they're going through. In Jesus' name, Jesus. Lord, that you set them free, Lord from the demonic oppression that is trying to go in her family. Yes, I pray for all those, Lord, who need you, Lord, but don't know how to call on you. I pray that we become faithful stewards, Lord, that we truly do look after the brethren. For, Lord, your love is only perfected in obedience and loving you first and everything else second. Yes, Jesus. But I pray that we not get taken away by the cares of this life, but that we might stay on task with what you have called us to do. Let us keep our eyes focused on you, Lord, for these are the times that try men's souls. Yes, so I pray that you cover us in your armor. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every slothful spirit, every spirit of despair, Lord, every suicide spirit in Jesus' name. I curse it and bind it, Lord, this very moment. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And I pray for a strong dose of the Holy Ghost. I pray that no flesh be glorified. I pray that no man's heart, Lord, be heard tonight, but that every word uttered will be spoken from you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and you are true, and you are worthy of all praises. Yes, Lord, Lord, I pray that you do these things for your glory and your honor. In Jesus', Jesus. name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, tonight's study is going to be called, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Am I My Brother's Keeper? Now, some people would say, well, that doesn't sound like something that would have too much substance to it, but we have to understand why this is so important today, because if you were to ask the 21st century Christian today, are you your brother's keeper? The problem, would, the, the answer would probably be no, or it would probably be, well, you know, sometimes depending on how they make me feel but we got to understand that god has given us a commandment to love even our enemies mm -hmm. and he commands us to esteem our brothers more than ourselves so we've got to understand why jesus said what he said and why more importantly cain said what he said to the lord because this is all about getting out of self-love getting out of self obeying jesus christ and doing what he tells us to do that we might be a reflection of him to touch the brethren and those who are not saved that need the Lord. 
And even when you are saved, you still need each other in Christ. So it is important that we understand that this is a work that can only be done by first loving the Lord and being full of him and then loving your neighbor. Even when people are married, when people go through things and situations, you got to understand it's not about trusting your wife or husband. You've got to trust the Lord mm -hmm. in your wife or husband. And, you know, it makes it so easy to even have a marriage or to deal with people when you know that Jesus Christ is your first love. Amen. When you know that he's watching and hanging on everything that you say. It's easier to run a ministry when you know that God is watching everything you say, everything you do. Because why? Then you know that everything that you do, you have to pay a price for or you've got to answer for in the coming day. So what we're speaking of is being God conscious that God's will might be done. And, you know, I don't see any problem with that. And, and even when you mention to people that you've got to love God first before everything, every now and then you get a cane or someone telling you, well, you know, I still got to have time for this, that, and a third. It comes with loving him first and being full of him. Then everything else can branch out. Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, I've never seen such heartless people like you see in this time today. But you know, Paul spoke of it and Jesus spoke of it. Uh, Sarah, our sister, did a teaching a couple of weeks ago that said, The love of many shall wax cold. That is what Jesus Christ said would come. Mm -hmm. And Paul, you know, went into it too about what would happen in the last days for those who didn't believe. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's start in Genesis chapter 4, and let's begin at verse 1. Genesis chapter 4. I'll tell you already there. There's only one time this is said. That only makes sense, right? <laughs> All right, so this is Genesis 4. We'll begin at verse 1, and it says, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, you know that word for new, that word is the Hebrew word yada, which means to know them intimately, you know. So Adam knew his wife and she conceived. She says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, you know, we've gone over this several times about uh, we have a good teaching called the heart of a good shepherd. And you look at uh, Titus and uh Second Timothy chapter, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, when it talks about the nature of that which is a shepherd, how a shepherd ought to look after the flock, how a shepherd has to have even guts to some degree because there may be, you know, wolves or bears or whatever. You know, we've gone into the heart of David. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about all those that were shepherds. And then you got the good shepherd, which is Jesus Christ that will not run out on the flock, that will be there for his. So we've got to understand that if you are your brother's keeper, you know, or you are a keeper of the sheep, you naturally have a heart to protect and do that which is right. Mm -hmm. So then it says, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, you know, this can also be said of the nature of Cain, because Cain was a tiller of the ground, meaning Cain had an earthy, lowly type of nature that was not really of you know, serving others because, you know, you can be a farmer and only take care of yourself. You can only dig for things that will only benefit you. But I'm not saying there isn't a nurturing process in dealing with that, but we got to understand one was a keeper 
of the sheep, meaning he was a protector, means that he didn't care for just his life, he cared for the sheep. The other was, you know, earth-dwelling and earth-like that was only taking care of the ground. So you could pretty much say that Adam, I mean, or Abel, was a type of Christ that was a keeper of the people, you know, and was heavenly-minded because that's a commandment that God gives, but Cain took care of the ground, meaning earthly, worldly affairs. You see how the two come together, and, 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 um, but they're different in nature. So he took care of earthly matters, you might as well say, even though he was a farmer. Um, and this is verse 3. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of that fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and took his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. So, you know, I would encourage anyone to look up the book of Josephus account concerning them and the uh, account of um, the book of Jasher because it puts more light into this story and exactly what was going on between the two. Mm -hmm. But you can pull enough right out of the Bible right here. So Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So this is interesting because the Lord is warning Cain that if you are going to be of me, why are you feeling sad? If you do well, you won't be, you, will you not be accepted? So, you know, the Bible does mention this story again later on, but Abel gave the Lord the best that he can give him. Abel gave the Lord a living sacrifice. Let's just let that stick with us for a minute. He gave a living sacrifice. Cain gave the Lord what he thought the Lord should have. He gave the Lord an offering, but what the Lord wanted from Cain was a living sacrifice. Cain was supposed to give the firstlings his best of his flock, but if you read in other accounts, Cain held on to what was his or what he wanted, and he didn't want to hearken unto the advice of the Lord. And instead of the Lord condemning Cain for Cain not giving his best, the Lord just asked him, hey, Cain, why are you wroth? Don't you know that if you do well, if you give me what I'm asking for, shall thou not, shall you not be accepted? Of course you'll be accepted. And if you do not well, sin will lie at the door. Because what is the cause of all sin? Iniquity. Mm -hmm. What is iniquity? That which is against God, a very nature, that that sparks the fire to sin. If God wants you to look right and you look left, that is iniquity. Okay, anytime that you don't obey what God calls you to do, that's iniquity. So mm -hmm. he says that, um, where am I? So he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if not, send life at the door. And then it says, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So I believe that he was warning Cain, one of himself. Cain, if you don't obey me and you don't give me what I'm looking for, then you become your own God and Satan will rule over you and not me. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the warning that he was giving Cain. And I know Cain understood perfectly well what he said. But look at verse 8. So the Lord was warning Cain. He didn't want Cain to fall. 
And Cain talked with his brother, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So as you can see, Cain did not care that Abel, I mean, that the Lord had spoken to him. The Lord said to Cain, why don't you do better? It is important that we understand here why Cain slew Abel, because you see, that's the religious mind, the very nature, the very spirit that killed Jesus Christ. Jesus came to tell us how to be perfect with the Father and to demonstrate God that we might obey God, that we may finally give the Lord not a bunch of laws, not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of rituals, but to obey God and do what God is telling us to do by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Mm -hmm. And you see, when Jesus brought that message, when Paul brought that message, when the disciples and Stephen brought that message, they were stoned. So you see, Cain is acting in the very nature of Antichrist because even with the warnings of God, he hated his brother Abel. Jesus said, they shall take you into the synagogues and shall scourge you for my name's sake. Cain killed Abel for God's name's sake. Abel was godly and obedient. And you see how the false believer, the false believer in God, hated him for that. It's the same war going on today with those who will be obedient unto God and those who are not willing to give the Lord his best. Look at how they attack you. Look at how they fight you. Look at how they make you doubt or they want you to doubt. Look at how they can't wait for you to fall because they have no intentions on being a son of God. Mm -hmm. This is important to understand. Yeah, true. So then he says, and the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, if you read the Jasher account and you read the Josephus account, it says the Lord pressed him again and again. Cain didn't just tell the truth outright. The Lord had to keep asking him, Where is your brother? Where is your brother? Where is your brother? To the point to where Cain said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So not only did Cain kill his brother, Cain didn't want to be responsible for his brother. instead of and, and Cain definitely didn't want to be accountable for what he had done, even after the Lord gave him commandment to do well. It's important that we pick this up. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed, and, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from the uh, from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall be henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. So it sounds like Cain was reprobate here, and we've got to understand if Abel's blood cried unto the Lord, his innocent blood for being righteous. What do you think 3,000 babies a day is doing to God right now in this country alone? And that's not even throughout the world. And that's every day. You don't think that God is ready to pay just recompense for people killing these children. And you got these lying scientists and doctors telling them that it's not murder. Mm -hmm. God is going to revisit these things. But I want people to understand about if they truly loved their brethren, if they truly loved children, then they would be telling people that abortion is wrong. Abortion is a sin, that it's not of God. So as you can see, there is hatred in the land called love. 
And if you were your brother's keeper, and I'm talking for any man, because I had an apple out of that bag, you, you, any man or any woman trying to influence a man to do this because they're not ready, you're not being a keeper of that person. You go along with it. You ought to tell people the truth that they should love and not hate. Mm -hmm. To kill your own children is an act of murder and it's hatred. And we're going to take this thing even further because Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? You know, it's just like the Lord may tell us to go out and serve him and do his will and look after the homeless and look after the brethren. And you see, we can come off with, with that type of mindset. Lord, well, I'm doing your will. I got mine. I go to church every Sunday. Isn't that enough? I throw a tithe in your bucket, but I won't give myself over to you that you might rule over me that I may go and, and work in the brethren's lives. That's what Cain pretty much told the Lord. Hey, I'm not responsible for him. He's responsible for himself. And that is not of the heart of God. Because I love the Josephus account. When Cain got mad because Abel's offering was accepted, Cain said to the Lord, you know, uh, I mean, he said to Abel, well, give me back the, um, the ground. Or don't have your sheep eating in my ground. Because, you know, um, you want to be accepted of the Lord and you think you're so good. Well, don't bring your sheep over here. And Abel said, okay, if I move my sheep off of your land, then what I'm going to do is I'll take the sheep and you won't eat, nor will you have anything to be clothed with. Now, let's see who's going to win this. So as you can see, Abel gave more than even Cain. And this is something that we got to recognize. It wasn't about whose job was more important. It's about who was to give what to the Lord. Abel gave the Lord his best because that's how he viewed him. Cain gave the Lord what he wanted to give him because he didn't have a heart after God. So it's important that we understand that this murder occurred not because Cain was jealous of Abel. It's because one viewed the Lord more than, what it, what, than, than the other. One loved the Lord more than the other. That's where this began. Because if Cain really loved the Lord, he would have hearkened unto the Lord's words and said, you know what? You're right. And, and the evil that I thought to do to my brother, Lord, I love you and I know how that's going to hurt you. And more importantly, I love, I mean, and I love Abel also. I'll do right, Lord. But as you can see, laziness and slothfulness will cause people to have jealousy, malice, envy, and eventually want to murder someone because they're not willing to do it themselves. Yep. You see how laziness brings hatred? You see how not loving the Lord enough brings hatred? Let's go to Matthew 22, and then we're going to get into this lesson. And I'm my brother's keeper. Matthew 22 and 35, yeah. So, and it's really important that we hear the voice of the Lord in, in every single matter. Like, uh, this morning, I was going to do my laundry, and this is one of those mornings where it's like all the laundry stuff was taken, all the dryers, all the washers. Some were even broken. Wow. So I went in, and this one person was using the only washing machine. And to make a long story short, only one of the dryers is working. So I ended up using the dryer because it seemed like they were not paying attention to their clothes. Mm -hmm. And, well, she came and asked me about it. And I said, well, I didn't know the other machine was broken. I actually had to put a sign on it. Well, she got upset. Mm -hmm. And part of me started feeling like, well, you know, she better not say anything or I'm just going to let her know what happened. But 
as I was sitting at home, you know, just meditating and everything, I really felt like the Lord told me, you know what, she's having a bad day. You know, you need to go and apologize to her for what happened and ask for her forgiveness and offer her the dryer. And so I did. And when I did, she said, don't worry about it. She's like, go ahead and dry your clothes. And when I get back from the store, everything will be fine. But it was still the fact that the Lord told me to do that. Regardless of whatever the outcome is, that's up to him. But we've got to obey. And I even had to say, Lord, take this out of me because it's not even that important over a dryer. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so... And that's what the enemy will try to do is to get you to quarrel over earthly things. Yeah. We're supposed to be heavenly minded. You know, the Lord is actually redirecting to Matthew 22. Let's start at verse 1. This whole thing is significant to what we have to talk about today. So then it says... And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to come uh, to, to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed. And all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, uh, one to his, to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. So, as you can see here, this is one thing about being a Christian. You know, I want to bring up forward, and I'm doing this and standing for the Lord, because I know that this is right. But when you look at other religions in the world, and I want people to really understand this, you see, a Christian is doing nothing more than inviting people to this marriage supper that Jesus wants us to be in, that we ought to tell people the truth about Christ, that they might get saved so that we can share eternal life together. But here's the thing is that a Christian is fighting for something much more than himself. A Christian, his life is selfless. His life is not to obtain nirvana. His, not, his life is not to just obtain inner peace. He is laying his life on the line for his God to help the brethren that they might get saved. But you see, these people made light of it. You know, one went to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So while the master was telling us, like God is telling us, go out, preach the gospel, do whatever, you see, people are killing them only because they want people to know Jesus. Same thing Cain did. Killed his own brother because his brother was righteous and he wasn't. Look at verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden uh, were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the ways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. <clears throat> so God is telling them, hey, the people that we invited that made light of it, that were too busy working, didn't have time to serve the Lord, he said, hey, forget them. They're not worthy. He said, go into the highways and go and find as many people as you can that they may come into this marriage supper. So then he says, in verse 10, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, 
and the wedding was furnished with guests. So as you can see, it's not up to us to determine who's a good person and who's bad. Oh, that person's a drug dealer. They won't want the Lord. Oh, there's a pimp over here or this person is whatever. He said, bring in both bad and good. I think that this is awesome because you see, for some people that consider themselves good and live average lives, you're still not good enough to make it into the kingdom void of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So you see, bad and good are just about the same in God's eyes if we have not Jesus. Both will go into hell because the tree of knowledge of good and evil had some good and evil. But the, the fact of the matter is it was not of God. So that meant that it was double-minded. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's inviting both bad and good that they will come in. And he said, man, the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. What is that wedding garment? Your righteousness. Exactly. That's your robe of righteousness as your reward for what you have done in Christ. You put off the old man and you put on the new man. This guy didn't have a new man on. Verse 12. And he saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So that's something that we got to recognize. This guy knew where the wedding was going to be. This guy even thought he should be there according to his own standards. But God is going to explain why this guy wasn't here. Many are called. Many people are asked to come to Jesus Christ. But how many will actually take the walk serious and want to come in? But you see, few are chosen. So you see, um, Cain was called to give an offering. Abel was called to give an offering. But Abel gave the Lord his best, what he wanted, a living sacrifice. And what did Cain give? The Lord what he thought would be best. And you see, your best is not good enough if you are not obedient unto the Lord. This is verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou, for thou regardest not the person of men. So as you can see, this is an old trick of the devil. Just like the devil came to Adam and Eve, and what did he say? Oh, well, you shall be as gods. Did God really say, you better start paying attention to who's patting you on your back, puffing you up. Because you see, they tried to entangle Jesus with this. Oh, we know that you are master, that you are so true. You are so good. You know that you would never do anything to a person that didn't deserve it. This is what they're telling them. Look at 17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, this is what I'm saying, and this is what gets a rise out of me sometimes. You're here talking spiritual things about the kingdom of God, about what God is asking for. All Jesus is talking about here is what his father wants and how we ought to be. And what is the first thing that the Pharisees do? They start talking about something earthly, which is nonsense. It's got nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. This is it. Talking about Caesar and a tribute to him. 
And what garbage. Look at verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Man, this is what I'm talking about, having discernment in Christ. Because he knew they were trying to put him on a collision course with Caesar. He's talking spiritual, heavenly. They want to talk earthly and worldly. You see the difference between Cain and Abel here? So then he says, show me, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, who's in this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. He said, then saith he unto him, unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things which are God's. Problem solved. Don't try and put me in some mess with Caesar or whatever like that. Hey man, whose money is this? I don't need this to live. Here you go. Give it to Caesar and do what you need to do with it. Now he wants to get back on course. Verse 22. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Yeah, because they couldn't even, you know, they had no way of entangling him. His, his kingdom is simply not of this world. And that's what I'm going to start doing from now on when this stuff comes up. It's all about, hey man, this is about earth. This is about the kingdom of heaven. This is not my home. If you want to argue about the world, then feel free to argue about the world. I'm trying to point people towards eternal life and pursuing Christ. Verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say they were, that there was no resurrection and asked him saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto the brother, unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, and when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. Look at these ridiculous questions they're trying to do to snare the Lord. You know what this is? This is a perverse spirit. This is a mind that is confused that will try and do what they can yep. to ensnare a heavenly mind. Verse 27, And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. So these guys don't even believe in a resurrection. That's one. Even though the Bible speaks about it. And then two, they're going to try and ensnare him with something worldly. Look at what the Lord says. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err as in error, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So remember, he was telling them that back in Exodus and you know Leviticus and Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. that he is the God of the living. That's right. And when the multitude heard this doctrine, they were, ast I mean, when they heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, I want people to look at the barrage that Jesus Christ is getting. First, he dealt with the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians. They couldn't handle him. Then in walked the Sadducees. Now, I believe it was the, um, the Herodians that came. 
and they tried, the scribes and the Herodians came. Then came the Sadducees, and, and Jesus Christ is telling them, hey man, my focus is eternal life. He was able to tell them about the kingdom of God and the resurrection and to compare the Old Testament with the New. But this is when you are focused on the will of God and what he tells you to do. So they couldn't snare him. Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, see, saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And if you look at the Luke account, it says, In all thy strength. Mm -hmm. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, and he says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, Jesus Christ is making clear that everything that we would do today would be centered around these two things. First, loving the Lord and then loving your neighbor. Abel loved the Lord. He gave the Lord his best. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He loved his neighbor. Cain loved himself and gave the Lord what he wanted. And it's those two natures that you find in the world today doing the exact same things. And look at how Jesus is fighting this. You may as well say the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees are the kids of Cain. And you may as well say those who are of Abel are those who are righteous, that, that Jesus Christ is sitting here dealing with them. Yep. So he says, man, so everything that we do would be this. The first five commandments would be loving God. The last five is about loving your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you won't sleep with his wife. You won't cheat. You won't do this. You know, you won't murder. You won't do any of those things. Everything will be focused on loving your neighbor. If you love your God, you will have no other gods before you, nor be an idolater, nor make any graven image or anything that is not of God. Mm -hmm. So you see, on these two commandments, you can hang all of the law and the prophets. There are people that keep the Sabbath, don't even love God or their neighbor. Yeah. Okay, so you can keep the law and still not fulfill the will of God. That's right. This is about a very nature that only the Spirit of God can give us that we can be like Christ. So he says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? So you see, Jesus understood we've got a problem here. You don't even know who Christ is is why you're asking me these questions. So he says, okay, let's just break it down to simplicity. What do you think of Christ? That's the question. What do you think of him? Who is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, How then the David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So Jesus was making it clear, I'm the first and the last. You can read that in Psalm, I believe, 110, where, where David says this under the inspiration of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, hey, he said, the Lord saith unto my Lord. David knew Jesus was Lord, but David also knew that Jesus would come in the flesh out of the lineage of David just to prove the point that we can be like Christ. That's all this is about. So most false religions today have the mindset of 
God either has no sons or they'll minimize Jesus to being Michael the archangel or they'll say that Jesus was a good man and teacher, but he was not the Messiah. Many will tell you there are many roads to God. And lastly, which is the worst of all, you are God. Mm -hmm. That's what they'll tell you. But you see, Jesus knew that there was some fallacy in their doctrine. So he said, who do you think of Christ? And he used the Old Testament to prove that not only was he Lord in Christ, but he also is God and deity, one with the Father, one with the Holy Ghost. Yep, exactly. Verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word, neither does any man uh, from that day uh, forth ask him any more questions. That's how you seal the deal. Thank you, Jesus. Job well done. You know, he came in and he, he quoted doctrine, scripture, letting these people know, hey, I am the Messiah, you know, and these people refused to go and accept him just like Cain. Why? Because they love themselves and their religion and traditions and not God. Yep. We only got one problem with people that don't believe. The reason why they don't believe is because their deeds are evil. Yes. The reason why they don't believe is because they don't want to serve the Lord. The reason why people don't believe, and the only problem we got right now is they're trying to keep the old man alive and not die out to self that Jesus Christ can live. Mm -hmm. They love the world, and that's all this is about. Cain loved himself, so he would not give the Lord his best. And here we are. We would love for the Lord to come that we can give him offering every day and he could be there speaking to us like I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. You see, they had a treasure, but a lot of people could say, well, if I saw God, I would obey him. No, they won't because iniquity is a nature, a nature that that which is against God. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. There were people that saw him in this day and didn't believe. Yep. So what do you expect Cain to do? Cain did what was in him that would not serve God. That's right. Some people would say, oh, if the Lord spoke to me, I would have done it. No, you wouldn't have, because you have his word here, and you've got revelation of Christ, but you choose you choose not to receive it. But then you'll go off to the university and believe everything they tell you. Then you'll go off into false religion and believe that garbage. Then you'll believe in the theory of evolution, even though you haven't seen it. But when Jesus Christ says a thing, it, well, I don't have enough proof because your deeds are evil. Yes, sir. And this is Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Uh -huh. And this was after Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mount where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. So there you have it. It's like, you know, people want to say, well, like you were just saying... If I saw Jesus Christ, then I would believe in him. Well, there were people even in his day that after he resurre resurrected, he even doubted. So that just goes to show you that it's not people want to say that are evolutionists. Well, if I had all the facts in the world, that's not going to change you. What's going to change you is you stop hating Jesus Christ and give your life over to him. It's not all the facts in the mm -hmm. world. That's not what it's going to take. That's why he tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. Because these eyes, these senses that we have here, they're not enough to follow the Lord. You need a spiritual mind to follow Christ mm -hmm. that you might do his righteous will. If you rely on anything carnal, you've missed it by a thousand miles. Exactly. All right, so let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's get into this. 
why they don't believe that they can be their brother's keeper. And the Lord, the Bible answers itself. What a treasure we have. Oh, yeah. And people spit on it like it's nothing. Not even realizing if you want to know what to what to do or what's what, all you got to do is read the word. Amen. And people will go and listen to all these false prophecies about the four blood moons and all this other garbage. Read the word of God and God will give you everything you need. That's right. So he says, this is Second Timothy 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Who was Paul talking to? His young apprentice, Timothy, that is in the ministry, a young minister that intends to go out and fulfill the will of Christ. So he's letting him know in the last days, perilous, dangerous times shall come. Why, Paul? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, which, which Cain was, boasting. Cain, if you read the uh, Jasher account, well, even saying, I'm not my brother's keeper. That was boasting. Mm -hmm. So then he says, proud, blasphemers. And Cain was proud. Some people will say, well, it doesn't say that in Genesis 4. Let's look at this. He chose to kill his brother after what the Lord said that he might win. That's pride. Because he would not humble himself and do what the Lord said. He jumped over him well, or tried is, to. Pride is also giving what you want, not what the Lord wants. Exactly. So then it says blasphemers, you know, he disobeyed God, disobedient to parents. God is our father. Unthankful. Mm -hmm. God gave him advice to do what was right. He chose what was wrong. Unholy. He was separated from God for what he was doing, not listening, without natural affection. Is it natural to be upset with your brother that you would go out and murder him because he's doing something that is right? No. And you see, this is what's in the world when it talks about haters of God. You know, this is what we are dealing with in society. You know, whores don't like women that are virgins. A whore will get mad because a virgin is now clean and serving the Lord and doing whatever. You see how a whore will jump on her? Because a whore knows that, that she can't be what this person is. Mm -hmm. So you see, there's a natural hatred that they have for those who are godly or doing what's right. Yep. What do they call them? Point Dexter. What do they call them? Teacher's pay. You always got to have all the answers. You see how that hatred is there? Because these people are a bunch of, and I agree with Pastor Price, they're a bunch of bastards. They don't have a heavenly father. They choose not to have a heavenly father. Satan is a bastard spirit, and this is what they want. They want to be a part of that spirit. So they hate any kid with a father. I remember when I used to give my friends good advice growing up. Man, you sound too much like your pops. They hated that because they had no father. They had no one giving them instruction. Mm -hmm. So you see, this is why they can be unthankful and unholy without natural affection. You can kill your kids. You can be a homosexual and go out there and get involved in all sorts of filth. That's not natural affection. And you see, homosexuality is a self-loving spirit. That's a spirit of, yeah, we can get together and do this and do that, even though we can't produce children. So that ought to tell you it's not natural. Mm -hmm. That ought to tell you that it's not of God. And then they want to go and adopt and take someone else's child, not even recognize each one of you came out of a heterosexual relationship. So you know what you came from, but yet you're choosing to be unrighteous because you love you, mm -hmm. okay? It's self-love. I love me so much that I'll go out and get something that looks just like me and not yielding to what God says 
and having something natural. Exactly. So we got to understand, and they don't care about the uh, reproduction of this life. You see how they won't be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth? They can't even fill, fulfill the first commandment that God gave man. Because if you love your neighbor, you will obey what God says. Can't even that. have children. Yeah. And they're trying to make us accept that trash. Because they're doing also out of bitterness and hatred for what has happened to them. And instead of giving it to the Lord, they would rather live in iniquity. Because they always say, oh, I don't have a choice. I'm like, everyone has a choice. You're Amen. choosing to stay hate-filled in yourself is what you're choosing to do. That's right. Truce breakers. Can't even make alignment, alignment with people without someone stabbing you in your back. Mm -hmm. Like Cain did Abel. False accusers. He said, I don't even know where my brother is. Lying. Incontinent. Without control. The Lord tried to come and tell Cain what he needed to do. And Cain despised government. Then it says, fierce. Man, you got to be fierce if you can kill your brother. Mm -hmm. Despisers of those that are good. This is all Cain. Traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. This was Cain, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So the Bible is making clear that Cain had a form of godliness, giving him an offering. You know, he gave, he did respect that the Lord was there. He didn't give the Lord what he wanted, but he denied the power of God. He denied who God was. If he truly believed that God was who he should have known him to be, Cain would have given the Lord just what he asked for. So we can all look in ourselves and see some of this. And this is that nature that needs to go. Yep. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away by diverse lust. Was not Cain led away by diverse lust? Mm -hmm. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord just said, Cain, do well. If you do well, I would accept you just like anyone else. Cain heard that, but, you know, never coming to the knowledge of the truth that God is God. Now, as Jannies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. That's what Cain did. A man or men of corrupt minds was Cain, reprobate concerning the faith he became. God marked him and sent him out, and Cain had no place with the Lord from that point on, mm -hmm. because he would not yield to his instruction. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest um, unto all, as theirs also was. So I love what uh, Paul says here, because a lot of people are pretending to be Christians, going around, living their lives, faking it, doing what they do. But he says there's going to come a point. They shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest, even as theirs also was. So then it says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. He's speaking to those who are of, of Jesus. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, which is love and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So why did, why did he put himself in this? He loved the brethren. Okay, so he was, Paul is or was his brother's keeper. Why? He said he loved the Lord first, and then from there he proceeded to do what God commanded him to do, and that was to take care of the brethren. Mm -hmm. So then he says, yea, 
and all that will live godly. Not just me, folks, not just Paul, not just Peter, not just James, not just John. For all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is guaranteed. But evil men like Cain and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Cain, I believe in some ways, was deceiving and being deceived. Cain didn't think God was serious. I think Cain didn't really care. Cain hated Abel or that goodness of God so much that he just decided to kill his brother and let the chips fall where they may. And then thought he could lie about it and be okay with it. Then when the Lord asked him, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? You know, and Cain didn't realize he was because God told us to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, that we were to love God first. Abel was, I mean, Cain was Abel's keeper. Didn't even care. So then he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So we ought to be, uh, we ought to pay attention to what God is telling us to do, that we may be wise unto salvation, mm -hmm. unto being saved unto the end, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So if we intend to follow the Lord and do that which is right, we need this word. And we don't need to, um, you know, take some of it and throw the rest away. We need to digest it all that we might be made righteous, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So as they worked to serve the Lord, a good work would be thoroughly furnished in Christ that we may have no iniquity within us. What keeps us from serving our brother? Iniquity. What keeps us from um, even thinking that such things are possible? That's iniquity. What keeps us holding on to our coins, although we got lots of money, but we won't part with it because we got other endeavors? Iniquity. And those are the things that keep us from serving the Lord. We first have to give it to him. Then we can be our brother's keeper. That's right. So from here, let's go to, uh, where do I want to go? Let's go to, uh, let's go to Matthew 25. I want to go there first. And if you can, get Luke 16. Twenty-five, and I believe we are going to begin at verse 14. So he says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So God is giving these men what they need to do to do his will. And unto one he gave five talents, uh, to another two, and to another one to every one according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five made them other five talents. So God gave one man five talents. He gave them more than any of them. 
And these talents, yeah, you can say are money, but they're also what God has put in you to do the righteous works of God. Some of us can sing, some of us can dance, some of us can teach, some of us can prophesy. You know, this is what, you know, the Lord gives us gifts that we might obey him. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Bible says he gives it to us according to the measure of faith that we have in him. Yep. So then it says, so he gave this guy five talents and this guy used those five to the best of his ability. And God gave him and he gave up. I think he gave, he got back five yep. more. So then it says, and likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with him. And so he, have, he that had received five talents came and brought other five uh, talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents, behold, I have uh, gained beside them five talents more. So he's telling the Lord, Lord, you gave me five. I got five more for you. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Okay, so he made it clear. The Lord was well, well pleased with this guy. Well done. What I gave you, you didn't take for granted. You made the most of it. And I'm going to add to you more. Welcome home. Come on in, son. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So as you can see, he was not holding the person of two talents to the standard of those who had five talents. It was according to the measure of faith. God said, hey, what I gave you, which was less, you were faithful with. So he says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Verse 24. And he that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. So this last person who only had one talent refused to obey what God told him to do. And not only did he refuse, he, he called the Lord hard and unfair, you know, and, and what did he do? Remember, he took the money and hid it in the ground. What did Cain do with the best of his flock? He kept them on the ground, did not offer them up to the Lord. We're dealing with the same two types of nature here. One that wants God, one that is willing to serve the Lord, and you've got another that will not. Why? And he had the easiest job of all. So it's not about how many talents. It's not about how much responsibility. It's about who wants to obey and who does not. As Cain got loud with the Lord or, or, or smart with the Lord, disrespectful, am I my brother's keeper? This same individual here just said to the Lord, I knew you, that you are a hard man, reaping where you, has not, where you have not sown. He called the Lord hard and unfair. Verse 25, here's the real reason. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, uh, there... There thou hast that is thine. 
His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. So the Lord is not talking about usury. He's saying I should have received with interest. I gave you what you needed, but you didn't listen to me. So what does this person have a bad case of? If you fear man, then you are you don't love God. If you love God, you have no fear of man. So what we recognize here is this individual did not fear God just like Cain, and he did not love God, which is why he did not obey. So God said, you know what? I only gave you the easiest job. You should have used what I gave you, and I should have received what I had with interest. You should have used the talent that you had, but instead you went and did what you wanted to do. So then he says, verse 28, take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him uh, which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that have not shall that have not shall be taken away even that which he had. So if you don't use the talent, if you don't use the gift, if you don't use the Holy Ghost that God gave you to do his will, God will take it away and give it unto another. So then he says in verse three, in verse 30, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we got to understand this, that this man didn't love the Lord or his neighbor. Okay, he, he thought God was unfair, so he didn't love him, and he definitely didn't want to do God's will. And you see what this person got? They were just like Cain. Cain was made a vagabond, cast into wilderness to, to live the rest of his life as a wanderer. And what is God going to do with the unprofitable servant? Cast him into outer darkness, into hell, into the lake of fire, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People think God's playing around. You see, but when you mention love to this degree, people back off of this but they want to feel the emotion of love. Mm -hmm. If God can command you to love, then we know that love is not a, a feeling. Love is obedient to God. That's right. Verse 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now notice he took the sheep, because the sheep are docile, humble creatures that will serve the Lord. He left the goats because goats are stubborn. Goats will butt you in your butt when you turn your back. That's what they're known to do. So you see two different types of nature here one of Cain and the other of Abel. Mm -hmm. So then he says, for, uh, okay, so he told him, come in uh, from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. 
So what is the Lord making it clear? That if you if this God would have taken care of people, if this God did consider God first and his neighbor, loving his neighbor or being his brother's keeper, this man would have been all right. But instead, he was like Cain, ignoring people because he was afraid to stand for the Lord. And see, that's why fear has got no place in here. We walk in faith. We don't walk in fear. Mm -hmm. We don't walk according to our circumstances or how much we have. We ought to be faithful with what we are given so that God might be glorified. Right. Amen. Verse 37. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we uh, thee and hungered and fed thee and thirsty and gave thee drink and saw we and saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee or when saw we uh, uh, thee sick or in prison or came unto thee and the king answered and the king shall answer and say unto them verily I say unto you Inasmuch as ye have done unto unto one of these least of of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So what is he telling you? Uh, you treat your neighbor as how you were accepted by God. So with the fact that Cain killed his brother Abel, and then said, "Am I my brother's keeper?" showed that Cain had no love for God and definitely not for his brother. So when Cain did it to God, I mean, did it to Abel. He might as well have done it to God. If we can forsake people out there that need the Lord, and we can say there is no problem with this, or I can go on and live my life, you're wrong. Because what you do to man is what you have done to God. God commands us to love and be faithful with what he has given them. And then he says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, like Cain, into everlasting life, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. So you see, loving your neighbor is something that God wants more than anything. If you don't love your neighbor, or your brother is not your keeper then there's a problem. So you see, if we were to look at things the way that God sees them in a realistic sense, what we would see is that what we do to man, we do to God. Mm -hmm. Man, that's how you can really love. Verse 45, Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did not one, I mean did, if not, to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Hey, today's lesson is, you know, am I my brother's keeper? So we're uh, going now to, uh, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. So, you know, this just tells us people ought to take their walk a little bit more serious. You know, if you've got it, I'm not saying be swindled by people out there. Always be led by the Spirit as to what you do. But if you do not obey what God is telling us to do, then, you know, hey, he's, he's making it clear. What you tend to ignore, what you tend not to care for, then you have done the same to me. Yes, sir. We're not going to do Luke 16? You, oh, yeah, Luke 16. Sorry. Luke 16. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Luke 16. Is that what you were going to say? 
Yeah, I got a thing for spaghetti. Luke 16, and we can begin at verse 1. All right, so this is Luke 16 and 1, and it says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do that. Uh, when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou? Uh, unto my Lord, unto my Lord, and he said, in hundred measures of oil, and he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. So the Lord cut half of his debt. You know, whatever it is that you owe, hey, I'm not here to try and take advantage of you. I'm relieving you of your debt. So write fifty on the bill. I'll pay the rest, so you'll be okay. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, In a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. So what we get an indication here is we cannot pay for salvation. Okay, you cannot work your way to salvation. You have to be led by the Spirit in that what you do. But this is God paying the debt for us that we can never pay of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's all he's saying here in verse 8. And the Lord commended... Uh, the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of the world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, this is true, man. And I hate to say this. You, you're starting to find this even in the circles of homeless people. Even homeless people with what little they have, they know how to share. Mm -hmm. They love each other more than the self-proclaiming Christian. They have wanted them. I remember one time, I thought I was doing a, you know, the will of the Lord. I got a pizza for one guy that was hungry or whatever. And he was like, oh, thank you. The first thing he did was call his boys. And I think it was like six of them. And they all came over and were sharing an eight pie slice of pizza. When he could have, this guy probably ate less than us, could have, you know, went somewhere and ate half. And then found two people and said, oh, well, hey, this is what I have. I was looking for you or whatever. But this person loved them enough to say, hey, hey, guys, we made it. We all get a slice and we get to eat for the night. Man, the children of the world are, they got that love, man. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, and I say unto you, make to yourselves uh, friends of the mammon of righteousness, mm -hmm. that, of the unrighteousness, sorry, mm -hmm. that when they fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now, do you remember this past Tuesday, I mentioned that we cannot compromise what God says. You see, because if we compromise one value, we have compromised them all. Mm -hmm. If there are things that you will not teach and will not speak about for the sake of 
trying to help people out and you hold back this word, then you compromise them all because eventually you're going to do the same tactic again just to try and get people to accept you. And this is why you got people in the pulpit preaching trash mm -hmm. because they get to the point of, I don't want to offend. So they're conscious of man and not of God. Yep. So you compromise one value, you take some of that armor off, the devil will work his way in, and before you know it, you're not serving the Lord at all. Mm -hmm. But if you are your brother's keeper, then you are going to tell them the truth and what they need so they won't be deceived. So you see, if you're your brother's keeper, you don't care about you. You're concerned for them. That's right. So he says, if therefore ye have not been faithful uh, in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, this is something to think about because, see, a lot of people are talking about, see, God knows that we use this unrighteous mammon. This is what he's saying. Hey, you got to pay bills. You got to feed people. You got a place to say you may have a home where you, you know, use Bible study. God don't care about none of this stuff. It's all about how we use it. But if we're doing it for ourselves, then there's a problem because then we're using it for us. So this mammon means something to you. Mm -hmm. It's not about God anymore. It's about you. So God is saying, how can I trust you with the Holy Ghost, which is the true riches, mm -hmm. if you can't even be faithful with that which you see regularly? Exactly. Man, what a God. What wisdom. Verse 12. And if ye have uh, not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So this is true too. Everybody want to be married, right? Everybody want to be, you know, successful in business or have different things. Hey, how faithful are you to someone else's stuff? You know, would you take someone else's wife? Would you do other things like this? Would you connive and manipulate to do your own thing? Would you destroy a ministry just to have one? What would you do? So he's saying, if you're not faithful with someone else's stuff, how do you expect to be faithful with God's stuff? He pays attention to what we do. That's right. Like I said, what wisdom. So he says in verse uh, 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this is something we've been talking about for several months. He says all these things only to go to the servants of mammon. Hey, the Lord is not don't have a problem with mammon in your hands. What will you do with that mammon is what God is concerned with. He understands right now this is what we're using. But what we do for him, will we put money aside for him to go and preach the gospel, you know, and go out on a trip and serve the Lord? Or will we put that money aside to go on the, the cruise or the vacation that we want to go on? You see, th these are things that he pays attention to. I'm not saying you can't go and... and um take time out and minister where you are. But God knows the heart. He knows you wanted to go to Hawaii for the longest. This is what you're saving up for. But while you were there, you basked in the sun. You didn't talk to anybody about Jesus. God pays attention to this. Mm -hmm. Verse 14. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. See, he's mentioning greed. Heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So now we get another understanding, because you see, when you preach this gospel, 
what's going to happen? People are going to come back to you with a backlash. Oh, so you got a problem with me on vacation? Oh, I'm doing this and that. Why you? Why is there a problem with this and that? You see what he's trying to tell them? Hey, those things that you hold as high esteem among men, that's your problem, Pharisees, is abomination in the sight of God. So what are we paying attention to? What God wants. What do evil people pay attention to? What man wants. So this is the conflict. And this is the only reason why people will not take the gospel at face value and believe it. Mm -hmm. One wants to preserve his life and he is going to lose it. The other wants to forsake his life and he is going to find it. Abel wanted to please the Lord. Cain could have cared less. Mm -hmm. Cain only cared for Cain and that's why God sent him forward. Not because God wasn't forgiven and wouldn't have taken Cain back. God knew what nature he was dealing with. If I can come to you and look you in your face, if I can come to you and give you my word, if I can show you through many signs and wonders that I am God and your need for me, and you can look me in my face and still turn left, then I know that there is nothing that I can do to please you. That's what he did for Numbers in Numbers 13 and 14. Remember the 10 temptations. No matter what God did, they refused to see. You know why? They don't want God. They love them and they want God to ride with them. Hey, Lord, I got a nice car. You can come in and join me if you want. But what God wants to do is drive the car. So we try and incorporate God with our sinful lives and we think God is going to be okay with that. Again, this is a process that we grow, but understand what the end game is. I've got no problem with people who don't see this yet. My problem is when you defend that which is wrong and you refuse to see it, that's where I have a problem with it. The problem is not in whether you're there or not, whether you're doing it or not. Is this true? Do you believe this? Because if you choose not to believe it, then there's iniquity within you that doesn't want to serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's not about right. trying to get here. I could care less about that. I can talk to you all day about God. I'll be there with you because I want people to be there for me that we might grow together. But it's when you see the words and you put your own spin on them. That's iniquity. That's right. You have no intentions of serving God. So you're just looking for a light, soft, soaked gospel to keep you from doing what God says. Yep. Verse 16. The Lord and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. So he says, since, since this is what the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. Mm -hmm. You see how the Lord is telling us press in. Man, don't take this for granted, man. Go for what you know. Verse 17. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. So what law is he talking about? The law of the spirit. Yeah. Loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. Pretty much Jesus is saying, if you think that I'm going to recant anything I said to accommodate you because you don't want to press towards the mark, you can forget that. God holds his word above his name, and we need to conform to his will. Verse 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the Lord to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and married and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her that is put away 
from her um, husband committed adultery. Uh, there was a certain rich man. So this is the Lord pretty much saying, if you think I'm kidding, hear this parable. Mm -hmm. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This guy had it all. Wealthy dude. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man, the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, this is a man in bad state because we don't even see people out there like that. You know, so the Lord, I mean, the, the dogs even came and licked this guy's sores. This guy was disease ridden, you know, poverty stricken and starving. And he's hanging outside this man's gate every day that could have given Lazarus probably three fourths of what he owned and still been rich. This is, this is the heart behind those who were not their brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So you see, death is the great equalizer. Where we are going to spend eternity is what matters. That's one thing no rich man or man of power can say unto you. He may say, I've got this, I've got that, I've got all this. Look at all that I have and look at all that you have, you beggar. But here's the thing. we both scheduled to die. Where we will be will be forever and not for 70 or 80 years. That's something to think about. So, you know, death is the equalizer. So anyway, uh, they carried him. Uh, okay, he was buried. And in hell. So now the situation gets hot. He lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus is in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So let's look at this for a little bit. This guy had food and everything that he could have given Lazarus, wouldn't even give him a meal. Lazarus had to eat whatever crumbs fell. Now, you know, when we drop food after eating, it ain't much. This is all Lazarus had to sustain him. But now that this man is in hell, he wants Lazarus to just dip the finger, uh, I mean, his finger in water and just tap his tongue lightly just to cool it. Hey, hell is no joke. And this ought to tell you that what we have in this life is nothing compared to what we need in the future. This guy now is just asking for the dip. He ain't even asking for food. He's not even asking to be freed. All he's asking is, man, if you can just stop my torment by just dipping your finger, just a little. Now, when you dip your finger in water, you might get maybe a drop that comes off. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just think about that. And this is serious. Mm -hmm. All right. So he says, um, okay, tormented in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and Lazarus and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So Abraham is saying, hey, these are the rules. This is how it's played. But even if I wanted to help you, I can't. It's fixed. How was Cain left with that mark? Fixed. Cain had to go on the rest of his days 
aside from God because he even had no sorrow for murdering his brother. Mm -hmm. He never even asked for forgiveness. All he kept saying is, my torment is worse than I can bear. And that's what every sinner in hell is going to say. My torment is worse than I can bear. But they won't even come to the conclusion, Lord, you are right, and I need to follow you. This is what's coming, man. And this is sad, but he said, hey, even if I wanted to help you, I can't. This is fixed forever. So while we have this time to love the brethren, we should do so. Yep. Because you may not have tomorrow. That's right. Verse 27. And he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that ye may that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, how did Jesus know this? Because they did the same thing to him. When people say, well, if Jesus were here, I would do what he say. I can tell you personally, you're a liar. Okay, if you hate the word of God and you try and twist the word of God, then you will hate Jesus and try and get him to conform mm -hmm. to you. Exactly. You know what this also tells us? Because a lot of churches go out together and they like to go out and feed the poor and this and that. This is telling us salvation is an individual affair. What we do daily is up to us. He said, don't try and go and save your brothers. They got the same start that you have. They've got the same Bible that you read. They had as many people minister to them as they ministered to you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if even if you see it, you won't believe. What was that scripture you just read? Matthew 28? 28. Okay, so if you look at Mark 16, the same thing happened. Jesus came back from the dead. And what did it say? Some believed and others believed not. So as we know, this is not about seeing is believing. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. But if you don't love your brethren, this is your faith. You cannot come to God and act like you love him when you can ignore your brother. Amen. Let's go to uh, 1 John 3. People hate this message. Whenever you tell people about part from the world, look at the backlash. And whatever you will defend, that is your God. And it's time that we be real with that. Because someone can tell me, you know what? God expects us to all die for the cause. Hey, if I'm in this for Christ and that's what the Bible says, then hey, that's what I signed up for. Hey, Lord, I'm still got some fear around that. Build me up that I might believe and go farther. Yep. What's the problem? But see, when you got people saying, well, I don't think God would personally tell us to do that. He loves us. See, that's iniquity. Because if the Bible clearly states it, then yep. you just don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. That's what it's really about. <laughs> that's your God. You know who I love? Me. So even though I see this, it doesn't matter. I want to be told I'm going to be all right. I'll be all right in heaven. But when we go, go ahead, sorry. And are you willing to risk to find that out once you're in hell? Exactly. I'm not really. <laughs> exactly. To take that chance, you know. Uh huh. To start believing once it's too late. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, because you will. Every knee will bow. That's right, whether they are ready or not. Here he comes. 
So let's get started. Uh, let's begin at, uh, let's start at verse 9. 1 John 3 and 9. So he says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. So let's make this clear. Born of God is not being born again. Okay, born again is starting the process of walking, talking, learning to be with Jesus like we're doing, you know, whatever we need to do, that we're growing Christ in us. Born of God is Christ in you. Born of God is when Christ runs the show. When Jesus Christ truly lives in you, that everything that he would do before is what he's doing in you now. Mm -hmm. Henry Groover is born of God. You see what I'm saying? Certain people, they are truly born of God. But right now, we are birthing Jesus. We are trying to bring Jesus forth. Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20, I labor with you in birth again till Christ. No, that's uh, Galatians 4 and 19. But Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus runs the show, is when we are born of God. Right now, we're going through the process of growing in Christ. But as we know, there's still some iniquity. There's still some things that we don't obey God on the daily daily basis. This is where we are growing in Christ. Because when he says, um, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now, you know, like you said um, earlier, even with the laundry, a woman did something to you, you got upset, or whatever, but the Lord told you go back and apologize and make it right. Mm -hmm. So sin is to be left in your nature, but we do make mistakes, but we will ask God to forgive us and ask God to keep us moving forward. Right. So if you're born of God, you are led by the Spirit. Paul says if you are led by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right. He said if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So you see what I'm saying? There are some things we still want in the flesh and there are there are other things that we want in Christ mm -hmm. so we're going through this stage of being born of God when Christ is fully formed in us remember Paul said in Galatians 4 and of 13 he talked about not being children blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine that we might make it to the fullness of the stature of Christ so it's a process that we're going through I'm not saying a person may not be born again. You can be born again, but when he's saying born of God, that means that Christ is formed in you. Yeah. Yeah, being born again is just the, the initial, like, starting point right. of that um, transformation to right. the goal. Or I don't want to say goal, but, like, would be it's the a goal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> the prize at the end of the race, right? Absolutely, you know, and that's why you would ask yourself, man, how can Paul keep going? How could John keep going? How could these guys do what they do? But Paul tells us in Galatians, uh, not Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said about being perplexed. Though the inward man perish, the outward man is renewed day by day. So what happens? The old man is gone. And Paul says, I got to buffet my body. Bring it unto subjection. Jesus knew what he was doing. He went to a place every day, a mountainous place to pray. Why? Keep that old man off. Stay where we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. So this is verse 10. And he says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. So you see, while one is going through the born again process, it's going to look slightly different here. 
You know, you're going to start to see more and more those who are of God going in the ways of God. And you're going to start to see those who are in the ways of Cain going their way. So they become manifest because as you start to sprout and grow fruit, the wheat stop looking like tares, don't they? The change has become, you know, it becomes obvious at yeah. this point. All right. So um, I believe I said. Uh, or who is uh, and the children of the devil they both manifest whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God neither he that loveth not his brother for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another you see how it was from the beginning and then it says not as Cain why is he bringing this up because this is an essential part of being your brother's keeper who was of that wicked one uh, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we are passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So let's look at 14 again. We know that we are passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. So how do we pass from death into life? What signifies being born again? You know, loving your brother. First, it's of course having Christ in you, but love for the brethren. Why? Because in most cases, unsaved people don't love their brethren. They might love to a degree, but they don't love to the freedom of Christ. So we got to understand, they love with condition, and we all did, and in some cases do. But God has given us that pure heart that we might serve Him. Yeah. And as well as the Bible says to love your enemies, so it doesn't mean like hang out with them or anything, but to pray for them. So it's like... Or do for how, them. Right. So it's like, how can you love your enemies if you first cannot love your brethren? Exactly. That's exactly the point. So he says, because we love the brethren... He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So you can go to church every Sunday. You can pray in tongues. You can do anything that you want to do. But if you love not the brethren, you abide in death. And that's what God is saying. And he's going to explain it. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. So how do we know we love we lay down our life. God laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So how can you have, how can you believe God and watch somebody starving? The Lord is like, man, please. Verse 18. My little children, let us not love in the word, neither, I mean, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So what is God? A God of action. Just because somebody say, I love you and give you hugs and all that stuff, they might love you, but God is like, if you really want to show love, man, do for that person and, and show them in truth. And what is truth? Jesus Christ show in truth. Jesus and the truth cannot be separated. You may have some things that are factual, but like we did that teaching, when you speak of truth, truth is Jesus. Well, some people say, well, how come this guy is beating up his wife and all this stuff going on and all that? That man needs Jesus. 
You don't take them there. But you can say, oh, no, well, he grew up with an angry nature. So what do they do? Take you to the psychiatrist, you know, and you go and you talk your problems out and you work things out. That's not the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is a need for Jesus. The problem is we're all like that man unless we're born again. That's what this is about. So you see, you cannot separate Jesus from the truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. So you ever notice when people are doing the will of the Lord or intend to, or taking the word that they might do for the Lord, you ever notice when you bring up certain things, they're not offended. If you want to know what everybody's doing in their life, all you got to do is preach the gospel and guarantee you that strong man will stand up. What do you mean? You know, we all, God is spoke. But wait a minute, but I, I think I found something that will tell you that's not true. Why do you have a problem with it? Because you're not doing it. So you see, the word will find you out. Whatever it is that is your God will stand up in you. That's right. Uh, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So how do we know that we can have confidence towards God? We receive Jesus because we keep his commandments. So if we don't receive Jesus, we are separate from doing his commandments and we're going to argue against them. You see how that plays out? <laughs> but anyway, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And whereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So you see how important that is that we do those things, that we are in Christ righteously. Because, you know, if we abide in Christ, he will abide in us and he will do his works through us. Now, some people can mention something that, may, that I may not be doing currently. Guess what? You're right. Amen. Praise the Lord. I need to get rid of my pride. I need to do this. I need to do that. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that forward. But when you start fighting the process, that's the very nature within you. You have no intentions on obedience. So it is important that we learn, even if this word cuts deep, praise the Lord. Why? Because he, he found an area in you where you're weak. And all you need is to call on him that you might be strong. But to say it's not there, man, it's just straight blasphemy. To fight the process is saying you don't want God. That's what I have a problem with. And at times I might seem insensitive, but what drives me is here we are, we're reading the word. Either it is true to you or it is not true. But if it's true to you, then let's go through the process. Who cares where you are? All we care about is where we're going. But man, when you fight it, nah, when you say that ain't true and that can't be, that's of the devil. That's of the Antichrist. All right, First John 4, we're going to read a little of this and we'll move on. And um, when you guys, uh, let's see, I want to go to also uh, get Matthew 18 ready. We're just going to work on this right now, First uh, John 4. All right. 
almost done. So he says in First uh, John 4, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that ye should that he should that it should come, and even now is already in the world. So an Antichrist spirit, as we have talked about so many times, is a self loving spirit. An Antichrist spirit will oppose that which is of God. And you see, that's why it says, Who will confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? Confession means also to profess and to believe that everything that Jesus said and did in the flesh is true. But if we try and find things around that, that's Antichrist. Yep. Verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than is that that is in the world. So if you believe that Jesus had overcome the world in the flesh, then, then you can believe also that God can deliver you from that which has you bound. But to downplay it is to seal yourself in your own condemnation. It is to be like Christ. So he says, uh, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. And that's why I always say with every message that we do, we are speaking to the remnant. I mean, it's amazing how there's a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, that can come and hear this. And there are people right here in Portland, Oregon that can't hear it. That's not by accident. This is because God is putting his church together for those who will receive the truth. Some of us have family members that won't believe this, but then there's people out there far away that you have befriended that believe God. Mm -hmm. This is just what it is. Question. Yeah. Um, referencing like cousin four uh -huh. six, it says like we are of God, gives examples of you know, great is he that's in you, and then also you'll hear God. Uh -huh. um, but then we had talked about how in 3 and 9, that if you're born of God, that's like fully born of God. Uh -huh. So, I mean, from, I'm just a little confused. Well, just because you hear it doesn't mean that you won't obey. I mean, you obviously have to hear the Lord when he speaks to your spirit to get you to do what he calls you to do. But the work isn't perfected. But what he's saying in 3 and 6 when he says, we are of God, I didn't say a person wasn't of God, but it's like when they are, you know, when they have reached the fullness of Christ, they won't sin. You won't sin. So when he says, we are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. So those people that know the Lord will hear the truth. It's just like you guys. You know when somebody's lying to you and when something is false. You guys have even said it here amongst yourselves. You know what? Something ain't right about this. Like you said in one church, a man was speaking in tongues, praying. And for whatever reason, the Spirit directed you to his tongue and not everybody else's. And you said, you know what? This is of the devil. So when that happened, it's like you hear God. You see what I'm saying? You can, you can tell what is authentic even if you're not fully where you need to be in Christ. But one thing God will do, which is a built-in mechanism, he will let you know what is around you, what is going on. 
you know, it's kind of like leading the sheep into the promised land. Yeah, the sheep are going to turn around. They're going to look. They might start to stray left, but what does he do? Bring you back in right. But those sheep are of the shepherd. You get what I'm saying? But when someone is perfected in Christ, you turn from almost like, not trying to be funny, but like from sheep to shepherd of the shepherd. So God is, is your shepherd, but you will also be like the shepherd guiding sheep. You see what I'm saying? Now that you've exercised your senses, or they've been exercised to discern good and evil, now God can put the responsibility of you to also gather the sheep because you understand the mentality of the shepherd. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of like now that he hears, you know, verse 3 is talking about, I mean, chapter 3 is really talking about being like a shepherd or one who is doing the will of the Lord, you know, being manifested as a son of God. But this here is calling, that's why he's saying little children, little children, pay attention. Those who hear God, hear his voice. You know, those who believe. And that's why you can preach the gospel to some, and a person could be a starch sinner and still be, that's true right there. Even if I'm not even fully where I need to be, hey, I believe that that is true. I may not come to study, but I know what you're saying is right. But you see, someone that doesn't hear it, no matter what you say. And I'm talking about even a church person. You can bring forth the gospel and tell them, no, it's right here. And they, well, that's your interpretation. They're not of God. And that's why Jesus told them in John 8, ye are of your father the devil. In the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and had bide not in the truth. And he, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own because he is a murderer. I mean, he is a liar and the father of it. People will sooner hear the world and hear the devil than they will believe God. So that's kind of what he's talking about here. I don't know if that made sense or not, if that answers your question. Yeah. If not, we can go over it again. And then it was just interesting how it said little children. So it's almost like you're now your children, not just born again, you know, mm -hmm. but you're not born of God. Right. You know? Right. Well, you are born of God, so I mean, I, I'm not trying to right. I'm not trying to downplay First um, John three when he says, "Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin." But we know as we're born, you know, we might be living, but we're not really living until we learn how to walk. So that's what I'm talking about: being born of God does not commit sin. Because some people will say, "Well, I do believe Jesus, but there's still things still in my life." So what does that mean? I'm not born of God. So you see how that can be taken to the place of, well, see, now I'm worthless again. And No, there are stages of growth in Christ to where God can give you his keys and tell you to drive. Yeah. Go. I'm with you, but I can trust you now. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I do believe, and this is from personal experience, once, like when you're of God, like once God reveals something in your life that you need to work out, like it should break your heart to not want to obey. Like exactly. You should be praying about it, praying about it. Yeah, you might not be over it. That's okay. But you should be working toward exactly. letting him overcome it for you. Amen. You know? It should hurt yeah. when we do wrong. It should bother you in your sleep to the point where it'll either bring you to your knees mm -hmm. or you'll make it right with that person. Christina is absolutely right. But, you know, that's what it is about being born again is it's a process of going through. So, you know, when he says he's whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. But that's why Jesus talks about being made perfect. When the disciples walked with Jesus, if you notice, they, you know, they heard him. They heard his voice. 
and they were born again because they had forsaken whatever and, and went with him. You can't be born again if you just, well, Judas did, but he wasn't. But the point is, is they walked with him, they supped with him, they ate with him. Acts, the second chapter came. They were manifested sons of God. Sanctified. Sanctified. They were Christ in them, mm -hmm. doing the works of Christ. So this is what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they walked with him, and they made a lot of mistakes. Didn't you notice? So, oh, remember Peter? So, oh, Lord, we should build a tabernacle for you, Moses, and Elijah. You see, and the father came over. Whoo, this is my <laughs> beloved son. Hear ye him. But they always did stuff like that. Cutting off an ear. <laughs> yeah, even John with his mom and them. Oh, we're going to sit on, put my son on your right or your left. Hey, that's not mine to give. And he said, can you drink from the cup? Yeah. And there, if you really think about it, after they were sanctified, there was really only like one occasion. And that's where P Peter was being a uh, somewhat hypocritical to mm -hmm. the, the Gentiles. But when Paul stood him to the face, he repented immediately. Exactly. So even though Peter was fully manifest, I mean, he was a son of God at this point, mm -hmm. he still made a mistake with, you know, being dissimilated. And this is how Paul was Peter's keeper. That's a great example. Mm -hmm. Paul went to Peter. He didn't say, well, he's an apostle. He'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can't tell people when people come to you for help, you can't just tell people, seek the Lord. There are times you can, but if you're someone that can you know, work in Christ, then you need to, you know, tell that person, hey, look, hey, let's work this out. Let's talk about this. Let's read a few scriptures and see what's what. But when you tell people, hey, the Lord can do this for me. I mean, the Lord did this for me. He'll do it for you. Go away. That's wrong because, I mean, unless it's something detrimental to your health. You know what I'm saying? Like if someone is trying to tell you, all right, dine with me, but you know that person doesn't want anything from you more than trouble, then it's kind of like, all right, you know, devil, I know what you're doing. But if someone comes young in Christ and wants to know, hey amen, don't, don't turn them away. Whatever it is you know, you can teach. You can tell this person. That's yeah. what we're here for, to edify one another that we become built up. Can we, I say something? Yeah, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, it just reminds me, no matter what level you're at with God or wherever process you're at of maturity, uh, working things out in your life, like it's really important to surround yourself around people who follow and walk with God because yep. those are the ones that are going to keep you on the right track. Like I think yes. it's, it's so easy. Like you go in the world to be distracted. Like I really don't think it's possible. I mean, it wasn't for the disciples, you know, do it all on their own. Like they had to have people who cried. He even put them in twos like, at times. Yeah. That's right. So and they like, out. That's, I think that's a lie. Like that's the quickest way to go astray by yourself. But look at what happened to Peter. Yeah. He was, that's a great point by Sarah. He was eating with the Gentiles mm -hmm. and you see how they began to turn him. Because, I mean, he was eating with the Gentiles at first, but then his own people were telling him, like, oh, man, you eating with them? And what did Peter do? He caved under pressure and began ignoring what Jesus Christ said to do. And that's why the Lord sent Paul. He didn't condemn Peter. Like, you know what? Get out of my church. You know better now and you ought to be. We all need the correction. But Paul came and said, I withstood him to the face before everyone to let them know, Peter, you're not doing right. Yeah. One last example on that is, is because now that they were at sanctification level, Peter is in uh, greater condemnation for the acts that he does. So Paul withstanding him to the faith is like for his own salvation that he stayed with the Lord and for the people that saw him. Exactly. So it's not, it's not that he, Paul was doing it out of a show. He was doing it because he actually loved him. 
Exactly, and that's why when someone that came here once said that he would correct me, um, if he disagreed with me, he would correct me after study, and I told him, oh no, do it here before everybody, because if I'm wrong, other people need to know that. Mm -hmm. You know, things. If, if you got something to hide, then you're going to, you know, put it away. But no, if there's something that we need to go over that I need correction with, fine. But see, who's to say that what you're bringing is wrong and you want to tell me this in the dark? No, let it be before everybody that everybody might right. see. But somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Or the scriptures may show we're both wrong and this is how it's going to be worked out. Exactly. All right, so he said, um, verse 6 again, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this is how we know. For those who hear God, that's the spirit of truth. Those who hear not God, that's the spirit of error. So then he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So you see, if we're born of God, we will love God and we will um, know God. So the best way that we can perfect or we can show that we are of God is if we love our neighbors, if we love our enemies, if we love those who hate us, who, who persecute us, who despitefully use us, that Jesus talked about. This is how we know that we love. He that loveth knoweth not, I mean, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might be we might live through him. So God was willing to give up his own son. Now this is real love. People can't even if you say something like, you know, your son needs Jesus or whatever, and look at the backlash you get. That person doesn't love their children or God. And I don't care who we're talking about, it can be in a church. If you want to fight that somebody needs Jesus, there's something wrong with you. You hate God. Verse 10. Herein is love that, I mean, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how did God show his love? He sent his son. You know, how did God show his love? He was obedient unto the cross, even unto death. Even unto death. He was obedient. The Bible makes clear in Hebrews 12 Jesus Christ despised the shame. You know, he didn't want to do that. He despised it. While he was laying up there, he hated being mocked, hated being spat on, hated being beaten. But he loved the Father and he loved us. And how could we spit on a salvation like that? He despised. So that's why this thing is not about feelings. That's what I'm trying to tell people. There'll be things that you may not like to do, but God will command you to. And this is what's about being perfected. This ain't about feelings. Because if we go according to how we feel, we won't do in most cases. Jesus despised the shame. He hated it. But he loved the Father. And that was all that mattered. It's important to recognize your feelings, though, because they can be getting in the way from you. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, and so if you believe the truth, you're going to push past that, which makes you a lot stronger. Um, That's but true. also, I think he can use you to, like, you know, if you, you're born of God and you have the heart of God and you love others, um, he might fill your bowels with compassion to um, really feel strongly about something mm -hmm. to act on. 
That's true, because Peter didn't even know. Peter didn't even know he was going left with his feelings, but other people did. Mm -hmm. So it is good to recognize that we're going left. Hey, I'm not, something ain't right here. Mm -hmm. Any other time I could go out and preach, but now I'm doing it grudgingly. Mm -hmm. Something ain't right. I need to fast. So that part is true. I need to pray more. Something ain't right, you know? And it's good to recognize that. And the Spirit will even tell you, it's time to fast. Mm -hmm. And you try and ignore it for about two or three days. Then you get down to the point, all right, I'll fast. Yeah. Because the Spirit knows, hey, trouble's on the horizon. Your armor is slipping off of you, pal. Your shield is by your knees, and it should be up in front of you. Mm -hmm. So the Lord is telling us what we need to know. Right. Good point. Mm -hmm. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in, uh, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And, and we have seen and do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So you cannot separate the two. Some people can say, I can be a loving person, and I don't need God. Guarantee you. You love you and you want to be accepted by others. Mm -hmm. That is the extent of your love. You want to prove that you can do things on your own, but you really love you. You love God. That's the proper love. Verse 17. Uh, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So as Jesus walked, we walk. But you see, you bring this point up. People want to fight you anyway. I mean, what are you, what are you to do with that? That's my question. What are you to do? Do you continue arguing or do you show them the scriptures? Your problem ain't with me. Your problem is God. You don't like what God said is why you fight this process. I'm telling you, it says that we should be like Christ. Mm -hmm. But then, I don't get my feelings. I don't have no feelings in this. My thing is, I'm only quoting what someone else is quoting. That walked with God that was full of God. And that's something we got to recognize. So he says, um, there is no fear in love. This is verse 18. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So what do we understand about love? It's not an emotion. Love is a commandment. So when he says there is no fear in love, fear can't anchor it. True love will make you forget about you and obey God. That is perfected love. Perfected love is to go beyond how you're feeling to do what's right. Like Henry Groover said, when he went out there, talked to them bloods and crips, they were up there on the corner, man. Everybody in the neighborhood was scared. They killed people just for being on their turf. Now, Henry Groover is 78, I think, you know, and going up there, I don't know how old he was when he went, but I knew he was out of his neighborhood. He wasn't in the right neighborhood, but he went there and talked to the guys and they, they, you know, they rolled up on him and Henry stood there, not because Henry was trying to prove he was bold, not because Henry was trying to show courage. 
Henry loved those young gangsters that were unsaved, that were scheduled for hell. And he knew that the spirit led him there to talk. Mm -hmm. That is perfected love. Even if I get a bullet in my head, I did the righteous works of God. Who can love beyond fear? Let's think about that. Because you see, if we deal with our emotions, yeah, I may have love, they need Jesus. But see, if you stay in that realm of emotion, fear can jump right in. Hey man, you heard what they shot three people last week. I don't think you should go up there. And you know what you'll do? For the expense of feeling, you'll walk away. You will not serve God. But you see, if you are your brother's keeper, perfect love cast without fear. Mm-hmm. Perfect love will go and tell people. Stephen was bitten. Lord, lead us not to their charge. Don't let these people go to hell. Yeah, I know they're taking care of me right now, but don't let this happen. Lord, please. You know, and that's how I felt that day that that guy was cursing Jesus. I, that was the first time I could say I would pray for someone like that because usually I would be, hey, man, whatever. Lord, forgive him. But my heart actually bled for this individual, this individual that was sitting there talking about if I saw a JC, I would slap him. I would do this and that. I was like, Lord, please. It was almost like I knew the Lord was going to act on this individual. But it is our job to intercede. Perfected love. I didn't continue following him and go down the block after he insulted us because of me. Because the spirit was leading me to. Me and my flesh, I was done with this dude. All right, that's how you feel? Man, get out of here. But the Lord said, this ain't over. Go back. But as you can see, it wasn't him. It was his buddy that wasn't even there at the moment. His buddy even knew it was true, even though he had forsaken God. Yeah, Christina. I think, like, God's love always has some type of, um, like, I mean, when you're exercising it, sometimes mm-hmm. it always doesn't feel good. It's not the emotion you think of. But it it's really, it's it's powerful. It's like a, it's almost like a sword, like, against the devil. It's an offensive it's a weapon. It Absolutely. Is. It is a driving force that, that causes you to do it mm-hmm. in Christ. And you know what? Every time you push past your uncertainty and your feelings. You notice how good you do feel? You see what happens when the Spirit leads first? When the Spirit tells you, go and talk to them, and you're like, oh, man, this doesn't even, how do I even go? And you go up, and you find out it's not hard at all. You start talking, the person was heart was already open to receive Christ, yeah. so things worked out, and then you praise the Lord. But you see, before that point, what are you? You're terrified mm-hmm. because your feelings are trying to govern, but the Spirit is saying, uh-uh, get out of the way. I'm going to obey God because either way, this will glorify Him. Amen. So it says, perfect love casteth out fear. He that feareth, exactly, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So if we got fear, what the Bible says, He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth is um, he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So as you can see, Cain that love the Lord or his God. All right, so let's go to, uh, since we're already down here, I want to go to Philippians. Oh, wait, where do we have Matthew 18 up, right? Yeah. Let's go there real quick. Matthew 18 and get Philippians 2. You know, today, uh, the Lord brought to my attention that so many people who um, 
are, let's say, claim to be Christian, or um, the most, like one of the most famous verses that they like to quote um, or represent is, I can do anything through Christ, uh, he strengthens me. But the thing is, is they forget the condition of through Christ, mm-hmm. you know, they think that, he, I mean, they know God has all this power and stuff, but they forget that they cannot achieve it without the blood of Jesus over and they don't want to walk that walk. Yep. And I don't know, I've just, like, the Lord brought that up to me today because I've been seeing on all these, like, people's things, like, they'll, like, represent that, but the fruit of their lives or whatever and the things they engage in and they're not seeking God have nothing to do with through Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. The, it's just interesting how, but it's really seeking power versus actually Jesus. Yeah, oh, yeah. It can't be in lip service. You can't, like you said, you can't have the appearance of righteousness. You mm-hmm. have to be righteous. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're seeking that appearance and you're just seeking self-centered glory mm-hmm. and not Jesus Christ being glorified in you. Amen. So this is Matthew 18. We'll begin at verse 1, and it says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. So what does God want? Obedience. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive um, one such little child, in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Now some people can say, well, that's not very loving. That is love. That's how much. And see, this is what we got to understand about the heart of a shepherd. A shepherd loves the sheep. A shepherd has no regard for the wolves, for the lions, for those that intend to devour God's sheep. We can now, those wolves can decide to go away or they can join the winning team. But you got to understand how personal God is with his people. And now, you know, some people may say, well, what kind of God would say this? It's the same God that will, that will hear people teaching children evolution and think that it's of God. You see, so they can destroy these kids' faiths and they can go to hell for the rest of their lives. It's the same God that cares about abortion being done all over the country, 3,000 babies a day. God loves his people. God loves people. And he's not going to let a murderer who he does love have his way with his people if he can do it. God has given this commandment out of love. When he said it would be better that a millstone were hanged about your neck, and you were drowned in the depth of the sea, this is God saying, hey, don't get in my way. I'm telling you this out of love that you will pay a price for wanting to murder or hurt someone that is of me. So this is God's love. Verse seven, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So he said, woe unto the world because of offenses, because, you know, in the world, it's dog eat dog. But he says these things must come to pass because that's how the world is and people need to find Christ. But he says, woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So if you are the person that's causing the offense, woe unto you. Wherefore, 
If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands, two feet, and be cast into everlasting fire. So is God saying cut your limbs off? No. He's saying eternal life is that important that if you are sinning with certain things that are within you, then it's better to go through life as a eunuch than to be than to go through life as a fornicator and go to hell. This is what he's saying. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell. So how can we take this that Jesus is saying and make it, it don't take all of that. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. He's saying, hey, even if you had to part with things that are making you sin, it is better to go through life like that. This sounds serious. Verse 10, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. So this is a warning from the Lord. And he's defending the children. If you want to despise one of these little ones, he's saying, hey, be careful because their angels, their messengers that are over these children are before the Lord every day. So don't think that you're going to do something and it won't be reported to God. It will. This is what he's warning them. Hey, you better love these kids because everything you're saying is being reported. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety-nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? You know, some people don't understand this. They'll say, well, then if you get the one sheep, then what will happen to the others? He's not leaving the 99. He's leaving them for a moment to go after the one that's lost. It's clear that the 99 are not lost. The 99 are with him. And that's why he gave the prodigal son teaching. Remember, the son went out in the world, lived like the devil, and did all this stuff. And he came back. And the father welcomed them with open arms, you know, glad that you came home and you repented. But the son, I mean, the other son that was always with the father is mad now. How can you, you know, you didn't treat me like that. Well, son, you weren't lost. But you see how if you're not your brother's keeper, you don't care about that. All you care about is you gave him a reward, but you didn't give me. See, that's Cain. This is the heart of Cain. Yep. You hate to see somebody. You know what? If you guys go further in the Lord than I do, <laughs> praise the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Then that means God's will is done. But if I'm mad because the Lord has given you visions... And now I'm going to, you know, you don't need to be here anymore. That's clear. You know, and then, no, man, then there's something wrong with me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so, uh, somebody's going to speak. Okay. Those 99, though, like, they're on the walk with Jesus, and they have Christ in them, so he is still inside them. The Holy Spirit is exactly. leaving them. So he has not left them. Exactly. You know, he is dwelling inside them. That one that went astray left Jesus separated exactly. himself from the spirit. Exactly. So God had to go back after him because Amen. he misses you. He exactly. wants you back. So he's not leaving the 99. He's already with the 99. But exactly. But see, some people will look at this and say, well, what sense does that make? Yeah. You chasing him, the others are going to scatter. That's not what it said. Yeah, the ear got here. Yeah, exactly. And he made that point clear with Stephen. Stephen had, was just a young disciple, six months with the Lord, 
And the Lord stood up for him. Saluted him home. Saluted him. Home. It never home. It never said that. I mean, the other disciples were still, you know, here. But out of all the work that they did, and he chose Stephen. So it was almost mm-hmm. like he was driving that point home even further with him. He's like, look at what all Paul and, and Peter and all them have done. And yet he's the one that is, says that about. So it's like, you know, like you guys were saying, it's about our walk with the Lord. Not, not, not how many years we walk with the Lord. It's the service we do. Exactly. We got to understand fully God's love. Mm-hmm. Because, see, we, we love to a degree. But God is saying, that even if you went out there, I'll come and get you. God really doesn't care about this life. I mean, he does want people to be married and have things. But God wants souls. Mm-hmm. He wants souls saved. Because, you know, what? at the end of time, I can guarantee anybody out there lonely not married, never been rich, never did this or that, didn't have a job. I can guarantee you when that sky cracks open, you are not going to be thinking about marriage. You are not going to be thinking about money. You are not going to be thinking about where you're going to work. When that sky cracks open and Jesus Christ comes, all you are going to want to know is, am I ready? That's what it's going to be about. So I'm not saying that we can't have these things. I hope we all do. You know, honestly, I hope that every single one of us fulfills what we need to, what we've asked the Lord for in this life, as long as it doesn't conflict with what God intends to do. Mm -hmm. But I am saying that we all know when you're on the other side of things like that rich man, he thought he had all this time living his life. But once he died, you see how real the situation got? Now, this guy's not even asking for money, asking for anything. Now he's choosing to care for the brethren about ministry. Now you're looking for somebody to love you. But you had no love for others. You see how that goes? Eternal life. Verse 13. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep Mm -hmm. than of the 99 which went not astray. So it makes clear the 99 didn't go astray. Mm -hmm. You know, so he's saying, yeah, he's rejoicing over the lost sheep that the sheep got in. Mm -hmm. Why rejoice over the 99 if they're already saved? He rejoiced already when they got saved. Exactly. So that shows you the heart of God. Even so, if it not, I mean, even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Mm-hmm. Moreover, if if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell them. I mean, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and he shall hear things. I mean, he shall, and if she. If he, shall, if he shall hear thee, thou shalt gain thy brother. So he's saying, hey, don't go and embarrass somebody. If you know what someone's doing, talk with them alone and just try and work it out. But this is being your brother's keeper. It makes clear God doesn't want any to perish. So this is why he's telling us, even if it's a conflict, even if it's something that you know, hey, man, bear it down. Even if they get mad at you, true love is going to bring you to that person. Even if he's your pastor, tell him the truth. Mm -hmm. Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, so did God give up? No. Then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So, okay, I'm going to bring two other people to that person. Hey, man, I'm not the only one that's seeing this. Everyone else is seeing it, too. You know, repent and do what's what. So he's, you know, Lord, he doesn't give up on us like that. So he says in verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, 
tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. So what does that tell you? God didn't want to get rid of Cain. Why do you think he warned him? Cain was already wrought that his offering wasn't accepted. You see what I'm saying? God didn't destroy Cain for the offering he gave. God got rid of Cain because of the iniquity that Cain hated to part with. Mm -hmm. God even reasoned with him, Cain, why are you wrought? Do you not realize if you do well that you will be accepted also? And he says, if you don't obey, sin lieth at the door. The Lord was warning Cain, Cain, I don't want to do this. Just listen. And you know what I think? If Cain would have brought a wrong offering again, the Lord would have had to talk with him. If Cain would have brought a wrong offering again, the Lord would have talked to him. If Cain would have brought a wrong offering again, the Lord would have talked to him. You know what the problem was? Cain killed his brother. That was that much iniquity and anger within him that he just said, man, I'm not about to serve you. That's not what this is about. I want to kill him because he does believe in you. You see what kind of wickedness there is there? That's something that God said, you know what, Cain, if I gave you the chance, you would probably build yourself up and come after me. Not only that, you might even go and kill your mother and father. And you know how I know this is true? Because when God left him to be, this is how Cain lived. Cain was, a, I mean, the, the Bible will tell you, even in the book of Jasher, his family were a family of murderers. They lived by the sword. They robbed. Cain went to almost every city and conquered it. They built. Some of them were involved in, um, Josephus' account said, they would build brass, make musical instruments. They were very intelligent, and some of them were involved in martial arts. You want to know where martial arts came from? Cain's people were violent. They lived by takeover. So God is like Cain. You're not going to be amongst my people, in which they eventually ended up being. So God had to take the family of Seth, Noah, and eight people. Hey, man, we got to get out of here. Because these guys are out of control. So you see, that's why God pushed Cain away. If he didn't, it probably would have happened sooner. Mm -hmm. Cain would have probably, no doubt, have killed Seth. So we got to stop judging God about giving Cain a chance when he gave him a chance. But God knew what iniquity he was dealing with. So if Cain killed Seth, guess who wouldn't have come to to save us? Jesus you see how God sees ahead of time what's going to happen? Cain's family gave in to the enemy. They probably would have been all mixed up with the fallen angels and man would have been condemned. God would have had to destroy this. So God, always thinking ahead, he didn't want to give up on Cain, but he knew what spirit he was dealing with. And that's why in 1 John 3, he said that Cain was of the wicked one. Cain's father was the devil. God tried to help Cain, but Cain would not yield. Yeah, that's important. They even say in some accounts, Adam was even scared of Cain. Just to give you an idea of what he was like, Adam felt bad like it was his fault. Guess what, Adam, it is. Because if you didn't do what you did, sin wouldn't have been in. But God still gave Cain grace, and Cain refused. Uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Because God could have like destroyed him right then, mm -hmm. knowing you know what mm -hmm. was going to happen, just like He could have with Satan, mm -hmm. you know. But He doesn't. He doesn't just go cross that free will. Mm -hmm. and he gives. Everyone he does not violate choice. it. That's one of the awesome things about God, you know, that He will not violate your free will. But the devil, 
you will violate all your will. <laughs> exactly. That's how you know when you're dealing with yeah. the devil. Think about, would you want somebody that doesn't want you? Think about this. You would not want somebody to do It's yeah. just like, I'm going to chain my wife up in a cage, <laughs> and I'll feed you when feeding time comes, and you're going to be of me, and I love you. That's not the God we serve. See, now you can't leave. You see this padlock? You are going to be with me forever. That's evil. Even when churches act that way to people, if someone wants to go somewhere and just explore and see whatever, yeah, you weren't here. You're hanging out with the devil, aren't you? See, man, that's evil. You want to lock that person up to you. you know. Controlling and manipulative. Exactly. We cannot be a part of that. So this is Philippians 2 and verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being to, being of one accord of one mind. Mm -hmm. Look at this. God wants us all to see things the same. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So, you know, you were supposed to love your brother more than you, but you know what the world tells you? Love yourself first, love your brother second. You see, this is, this is what he's saying, because if Christ lives in you, Christ never came here for himself. We ought to love our brother more than us. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, as beautiful as that song is, the greatest love of all, the love yourself, Whitney Houston, I mean, you know, what's his name? George Benson wrote it and sang it. Whitney Houston sang the heck out of it. But guess what? It's of the devil. The greatest love of all is to love yourself. Show me in scripture where this is written. Mm -hmm. And this is what people will tell you. How much do you love yourself? No, you need to love you. I say correction. You need to love Jesus. You need to love him and have him direct your heart to love him righteously. So this world promotes selfishness. This world promotes taking care of you. Be the best that you can be. That's what the army even tells people. And that's a lie. Yeah. It's interesting because that, like, the greatest love is loving yourself is almost a defense mechanism mm -hmm. from... Um, trying to protect yourself from the enemy's attacks of all these lies that he tells you. So you go to now loving yourself. Now he's mm -hmm. redirected your focus still away from God mm -hmm. into a whole new thing that you think makes you feel get better, you exactly. know, self-esteem. But mm -hmm. you're still in this hamster wheel of no void is being filled because you can't unless it's through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's how the devil got Adam and Eve to fall. He made them self-conscious. Mm -hmm. That's what the devil is doing with us. What you thinking about, Sarah? <laughs> Verse 3. So he says, Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but let but every man also on the things of others. So, you know, we are our brother's keeper. That's what this is making clear. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus and that's why I try to tell people, I was talking to Sarah a while back, you know, I had a lot of offers to do a lot of things. You know, there are a lot of people that came to me, churches, hey, join the ministry with us. We can be in this. We can do that together. And I'm not going to brown nose some pastor just to be up on his list to do whatever. The Lord called me to do what I'm doing, and that's where I'm going to remain faithful. How do you know if I got caught up in that, that I would stop doing the Lord's will? Because then it would be about them. 
So you see, I didn't just run when an offer came my way. I'm trying to, I am obeying what God has called me to do. I'm not in this for fame or fortune. There are a lot of people that told me in past times past, well, yeah, you can speak on our program, but you got to watch what you say and you got the wrong dude. I'm not in it for that. And it's just that simple. I'm in it to serve the living God. So you see, we've got to esteem our brethren more than anything. This ain't about you and me. This ain't about being a star on the internet. Forget that. So he says, look at um, this mind was in Christ, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus Christ is no doubt. They say who being in the form of God, thought it wasn't robbery to be equal with God. It wouldn't have been. Jesus could have came down here and said, I'm God, but he made himself of no reputation coming in the flesh to be a servant to whom? Man. You know, that's what's awesome. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So you got the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Son of God. Okay? I mean... All the names that they call him, the light of the world, the I am that I am. I mean, the true vine, all these things. You got him coming as a servant. And we tell people that to esteem our brother more than themselves and they get mad at you. That's antichrist. You've got, you are greater than Christ is what you're saying. There's no need to serve him. He did it all. I'm not coming as a servant. He might have served. But I'm coming to show everybody that you can have all you want in life and still serve God. That's blasphemy at the highest level. He's doing it and he, he didn't have to. Mm -hmm. Wherefore God hath, uh, no, he was obedient unto death, even unto the death of the cross. Verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue, I mean, of things in heaven and of things in earth and in things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you notice here, he said every knee should. Every knee should. What does that mean? Not it's everyone. a choice. Yeah. Exactly. Not everyone. It's a choice. Who do you see him as? That's the biggest problem. Who do you see Jesus as that you can't be your brother's keeper? That's what this whole thing is about. How much you love the Lord. People get mad at you. Well, I serve. Hey, it ain't about that. Do you obey God? Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, see, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we will love the brethren. And see, it only makes more sense that God's love is a commandment and not a feeling. Because if you understand, and I'm not saying God's heart isn't big towards us, it is. But how do you love somebody if we go according to feelings if you don't even know them? That person in, in, the, in the sensual realm, that person is as foreign to you as your enemies. How do you love them? It's a commandment to love. 
Because if you go according to feeling, you got nothing for this person. So it takes the heart of God to feel for that individual and to do. Yeah. But if we go according to carnal senses or how we feel, naturally, and for the natural man, I don't know him. I don't love him. But if you got God's heart, not only do I feel anguish and hurt for this person and want this person to make it, but I love God and them. I want this person to make it. So what's the difference? Feelings governed by the Spirit. Amen. Feelings governed by God. Feeling what God tells you to feel is what's going to get you through. Yeah. Uh, but also a great point to that about love not being a feeling is in the commandment when he says to love thy neighbor as thyself and love thy God as mm -hmm. you know, that commandment. Mm -hmm. um, one, it's the commandment, the greatest commandment. But two, he's using it in context as a verb. So it's an action. It's something you do. It's not a feeling. Amen. It's not a thought. Exactly. It's not. But some people, well, I don't feel it, so I won't do it. So you see how dangerous it is to be in the sensual realm? Because you go according to how you feel, not according to what God feels. But if we obey God, God's going to give you more of his heart. Why? Because he wants more of his will done. So it's dangerous to play in that realm of, man, I just got to feel it. Trust me, you ain't. You won't if you try and deal with the Lord that way. I think, um, let's go to Galatians 5, and I'm going to close from there. As we're going there, just a quick point on 2-7, uh, when it talked about how Christ came and was a servant for us. Mm -hmm. Like, why wouldn't we want to serve other people? Like, God still serves us daily. We pray to Him, asking for all of our needs, whatever we want to do. Like, mm -hmm. He's not just there to bless just us. He wants us to bring people in so He can bless all the other children that are missing out on His beautiful gifts. Mm -hmm. Like, we should have that heart to want exactly. to bring people into the kingdom to receive that from God. Exactly. And then that's the thing. And that's why God is not going to play in that realm unless it's at the end of time. I got mine. Get yours. Mm -hmm. At the end of time, yeah. You know, what's done is done. But when it comes to now, God ain't going to let these people, man, go on, live their churchly lives and ignoring people, not ministering to anybody. And you're going to tell the Lord, I never did blah, blah, blah. Well, it's going to say, depart from me because you were only concerned for your salvation. We do have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, mm -hmm. but that working it out is caring for the brethren, obeying the Lord. Ain't just you making it on easy street. Look at Galatians 6. It's right next door. Just two lines. And we'll finish in Galatians 5. Galatians 6 and 1. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So you see, if you don't look after the brethren, you also can be taken astray. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is that? Loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. Now we can go to Galatians 5 and 1, and it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What was that? The law. Man could not keep the law. Okay, that Mosaic law was all about obeying God, but there was no... Um, nature, there was no spirit to fulfill the law. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So you keep one part of the law, Christ doesn't profit you. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So even if you go, you get circumcised according to the law, you are in debt to do the whole law. That's not all. Look at verse 4. 
Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Because, you know, the Lord was about doing work grudgingly. You know, it wasn't really like out of love. You kept the law out of fear. You kept the law out of knowing what the penalty was. But what God wanted us to do was to be a free will offering to righteously obey God because we want to, because we like him, not because we're forced to do it. You know, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then he says, for we, through the spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So look at Paul warning them in verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And that's why when we hear the truth, we better stand with it because a lot of people are going to deter you. You got to know when somebody is pouring water on your fire. When God is trying to get you to believe, there are some people, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but this is what you need to do before blah, blah, blah. Know when somebody is pouring out your fire. Know when someone is turning you back to the world. Know when, know when people are calling you from the obedience of Christ. He said, you ran well. And this was the Galatians problem. They were born again in the spirit. They were a spirit-filled church that received the Holy Ghost of God and were doing the righteous works of God. They ran into Pharisees that told them, well, yeah, you can have the spirit but you still got to keep the Sabbath, but you still got to do this, but you still got to do that. And that's why Paul tells them in Galatians 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, you are now being perfected by the works of the flesh? How do you get the spirit and begin to obey God and then get turned back onto fleshly works to try and earn your salvation? What I'm talking about tonight is being led by the Spirit. There have been people that the Lord has told me that have asked me for money, keep on walking. This person is a shyster and they're trying to use you. Then there are people the Lord have told me, give. He's told me to give more than not to give. But God also, you have to obey him to be made right. Because that's why you see how we can't go according to just the law. Because you might love that person that you have just not given to. But you are obeying God first and foremost, telling you this person's going to get high tonight and kill themselves. Do not give them anything. So you see how your love can't override God's love, what God tells you to do? We've got to hear on the spot. This you do, this you don't do. It's almost like if the Lord said, love the brethren, and you go out and you have food and you got money and you're just giving to people. That's the righteous works of God. If he's, if he's in your heart to do it and you're just giving it. But there may come a point where God may say, stop, look at this individual. I'm telling you no. And you, but Lord, I was giving everybody else out here, I'm telling you no. That's obedience. You see what I'm saying? So you obey the spirit, not just the works of the flesh, not just doing what you feel is right in your heart. Your heart can be overridden by God's will. And it's important that we obey that. First and foremost, so even while we are loving the brethren, obedience to God is first and foremost. Does that make sense at all? Or, you know, am I confusing everybody? So the Galatians were doing well, but now they're not obeying the truth 
because they're trying to incorporate the law with the spirit. So this thing is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is about obeying God that his will can be done in us. But when people try and turn you on, you this, you that, don't do this, don't do that. That's, a, that's the law. And I'm not saying what they're not telling you is right. I'm saying the only way to obtain it is through allowing the spirit of God to work in you, giving you the very nature that you don't have to tell me that. I already know what's wrong by nature, by what God tells me. So it's about obedience. Verse 8. This persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. It's not from Jesus, because this is all about, like, you know, perversion, mixing things that don't go. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So remember what I said? If you compromise one thing in this, in this thing for truth, you've compromised them all. Okay, if you believe most of what Jesus says, that is of no effect to you or Jesus. Mm -hmm. You've got to believe God fully in what he says. Mm -hmm. I have confidence in you, though the Lord, uh, through the Lord, that we will be none otherwise minded. So he wants them to be minded like Christ. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. So someone wants to go around preaching false doctrine, you're going to bear that judgment. Not, not hearing what God says and taking it as truth. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So that's something to think about. Paul is saying, hey, if I preach circumcision to you, if it's really about that, then why am I being persecuted? So it's not about keeping the law. It's about obeying the Lord. All right, let me finish. Verse 12. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. So he said, man, you guys are trying to figure out whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised in the spirit. Hey, you know what? If it's going to help, get castrated. So that way we ain't even got to talk about this. We can stay on the spirit. That's how important eternal life is. And that's what Paul meant. Uh, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only, not use, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Serve. That's right. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You see, that's Cain. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we've gone over everything here as far as the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, those who are of Christ, those who are not of Christ. But the point to be made here is we are our brother's keeper. That is clear. If we be of Christ, we are our brother's keeper, even if that person is an unbeliever. The bottom line is, if they need and the Lord tells you to, perhaps that act of kindness may make that person seek Christ. But always be led by the Spirit in that what you do. So when Paul says, am I my brother's keeper? We can all say with a resounding yes, yes, we are. Okay? We are to obey the Lord, love the brethren, and do that which is righteous in God's sight, that we might be made perfect in love. Yeah, Christina. Um, so I have kind of a, yeah. I mean, it's a real honest question. So, like, I struggle with when, um, you know, sometimes I see people, I can hear clearly that God's telling me, you know, don't, like that discernment of the Spirit, and it makes mm -hmm. me feel just like, ugh. 
Mm-hmm. But then there's times where I'm not sure. I'm like, should I give? Should I not give? Like, and I don't know if it's my own thoughts telling me, oh, well, no, I don't know if they're going to mm-hmm. do this with it. Right. So if you're in any doubt and you don't know, like, just in that moment, what the Lord's telling you, because sometimes it's quick, you know, like for me, like when I'm driving and I'm on the corner, like I don't have very much time to go through my bag, get mm-hmm. my wallet out, you know, and try uh-huh. to um, disrupt traffic. But I mean, there's been a few times where God's been for sure said, give, you know, like, mm-hmm. ah. but um, like, would you rather err on the side of giving? Do you think than not? Or like, what would you say? If I had to choose sure. with the doubt, because the Bible makes clear that Jesus Christ is not the author of confusion. Yeah. If there is doubt, then I believe the doubt. I wouldn't. Okay. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like, because if God tells you something, it's with a pure heart. Yeah. I'm not saying the devil won't try and influence, but if there is doubt, believe the doubt. Because God will make clear what his purpose is and what he wants us to do. He will even make coincidences come when you run into somebody, you know, again, that you wouldn't normally see so his will can be done. Mm-hmm. So if there is doubt, this is me personally, I believe the doubt. Because God is not the author of confusion. If he wants something to be done, he's going to make it clear. But if there is confusion, mm-hmm. you know, then there is something that is not right there that is trying to get you to disobey God. That's what I, you know. Do you think it could be that, though, the Satan trying to keep you from giving? Well, I will say it can be the devil in you, no doubt. But that's why, that's why, even if it is or it's not, we got to believe the doubt. Why? Because you wait for instruction. Lord, make it clear then. You see what I'm saying? Lord, I don't know if this is me or if this is you. Make, let me, so you wait on his obedience. Lord, is that what you wanted? But if you know that you're holding out on your money because you're trying to make it to the rest of the week or something you're trying to buy, then that ain't of God. Mm-hmm. God would rather you give away your rent, okay, to somebody that needed to eat. And I'm not saying that that's what he would tell you to do. But he'd rather you do that than to let somebody, than to just go on and buy material gains and things like that that you want. So, yeah, I would... I would always wait on the instructions. Lord, is this what you wanted me to do? He'll make it clear because you know what will happen? You might even end up seeing that person again. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to get away with it. If the Lord told you to do it, you'll run into him again or something. But if you are unsure if it's coming from him or the devil, then believe the doubt. Mm-hmm. I would wait because he does not bring confusion. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. Make our path plain and clear in Psalm 127. What he intends for you to do, he will tell you to do. But if you know that there is iniquity within yourself, because usually your heart will tell on you. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to give, there's a reason usually. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're like, well, I don't know if this is coming from the Lord. All you got to do is pause and think about what you really want to do with that money. Mm-hmm. See, your own heart will tell on you. But oh, if it's yeah. just because you're holding out on whatever, or you know, nah, God would tell you to give. So, you know, just let's just trust in him. Did I answer your question or yeah, you got something else? I'll just else real quick there? share because maybe you could even bring more revelation. So like uh-huh. there's this lady that, and you might have seen her, but um, she's like this 80, well, her sign says 85 year old lady. Um, mm-hmm. but And I've seen her twice now, but every time I've seen her, I keep thinking like the thought comes to mind of, you know, she has a place to go. She's just trying to abuse the system. And I don't mm-hmm. know why that's coming to my mind, mm-hmm. but you know, and then I think, well, you're supposed to take care of like the women, you know, that are. Like, you know, uh-huh. on the streets. Right. But then this time, the first time I saw this lady, there wasn't a man that was around the same age, like really old on mm-hmm. the street. But this time there was. And then this time it also said, like, he has, like, a spell over her. 
And I don't know, that's what came to my mind, but I felt like bad, like maybe I should be giving. But It might be some truth, and, and there may even be times where the Lord may tell you, stop the car and get out and minister. Mm -hmm. Because then you'll find what spirit you're dealing with. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes, you know, in order to, uh, you know what, let me see, let me pull over. You know, and then you go, hey, can I talk to you guys for a minute? Get out of here. And then you start talking to them about the Lord. And, you know, and they're, you know, then you know what spirit you're dealing with. I'm just saying. But if the Lord tells you to give, give. But the thing is, if not, then you know. But God doesn't bring confusion. Usually the confusion might be within us because we really want something. And we don't want to part with it in some cases. So I would believe the doubt. I would wait for instruction. Ask the Lord again. I'm not in a rush. Lord, if your will wants this to be done, show me. Your Lord will make if you you know, in public transportation, you make your bus drive right past you or you'll go to you'll be ten minutes behind. Why? Because he intends for that to be done. Yep. But if you are second guessing some things, in most cases it's not of God, unless there is iniquity within you that needs to come out. So I don't know if that makes sense at all, but you know. Yeah, so we are our brother's keeper, and let's just keep that in mind, and I'm going to turn it over to Sarah. Go to Ezekiel 18 and verse 18. Ezekiel 18 and 18. As for the father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. <clears throat> Yet say ye, why doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father, when the son doth, hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and have done them, he shall surely live. So to give a background story on the first half of Ezekiel 18 here is it's talking about if you live according to God's statutes and his commandment, which is the law of the spirit, uh, then we would, we would live with the Lord. However, if you didn't, then the soul would end up in hell. Mm -hmm. And it's saying here as well that if the son was to live righteously, then he would not have to pay for the iniquity of his fathers and he would live with the Lord. But if he didn't, then that son would go to hell. And this right here is just bringing more clarification here as well. Because some people want to say, well, it's generational. I do what I do because my parents did that. And it's just, you know, people want to say, if the father went to prison, then the son goes to prison, then the grandson goes to prison. And they say, well, you know, I'm a product of my environment. Well, we don't have to be. If we get out of that situation and live for the Lord... We don't have to be as our parents are, and we don't have to pay for their sins either. There is such thing as generational curses, but they can be completely cut off by Jesus and praying over them and casting them out. Exactly, exactly. And that's what this is yeah. actually saying yeah. here is that if you don't follow after that. Yeah. All right, uh, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. 
But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and shall not die. And this is what we pray for. We pray for, because you know, we, we've talked about it here before, that we all lived wickedly at some point in our life before we came to Jesus Christ. And we gave up those sins and decided to follow after him. And this is what he's asking that every wicked person do. All right, verse 22, Ezekiel 18 and 22. In all his transgression that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure that all the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? So it's saying here that God doesn't want the wicked to die and to go to hell but if we don't turn from our wicked ways that is the only option mm -hmm. but he wants us to live with him mm -hmm. verse 24 but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth shall he live all his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned so if we, no matter what we've done, no matter how much we've served in, in, in the ministry or in the church or whatever, if we turn from that righteousness and go after wickedness like Cain, <laughs> it won't, none of our righteousness matters. If we have to stay up underneath Jesus Christ and let him live our, uh, live our lives. Mm -hmm. All right, in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall die. Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal. Hear ye, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? Why is that? Because Israel was always going after other gods. They mm -hmm. always made a choice. No matter how much God gave them grace, gave them mercy, and, and turned them away, they always wanted to turn right back and mm -hmm. go the other way. Verse 26, When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. So it's saying this again, because it is very clear that God wants us to turn. He's very serious about us turning away from our wickedness, and that we follow after him, and that we stay, that we don't just appear righteous that we we be righteous verse 28 because he hath considered because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed he shall surely live he shall not die so it's saying right here he considereth that means you think about it you have to think about all that you've done and that it's truly a nature change so even asking God Lord as much as it hurts the pain that I've endured throughout my lifetime, through what people have done to me, through what I've done to others, take it away from me, Lord, that I can be completely one of your children. We have to ask God to do that for us, no matter what we've gone through. Uh, because if we don't, if we allow that bitterness and that unforgiveness or whatever it is to fester within us, He can't fully give His Holy Spirit to us. Because it's trying to put two unclean with clean, and the two just don't mix. That's going to be on Tuesday's teaching. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so verse 29. 
Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are my ways equal? Are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be in your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? So it's saying right here, put off the old man, put off the old spirit, and put on the new man in Christ Jesus. Verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourself and ye, and live ye. So God has no pleasure in sending us to hell. But if we don't give up this world, give up the lust, give up the unforgiveness and the bitterness and everything that holds us here, hell and the lake of fire is the only option. Amen. That's all it breaks my heart. I see so many go. That's right. Especially after he's continued to chase after people. Exactly. Exactly. You see how even in the church he didn't give up on his people. Right. But I mean, when you get to the point where the whole church knows and the person's still standing for what they want, it's not about making the mistake. It's about not even believing that it's right and you're not going to listen, you know? Or the whole church is crucified. Right. Because the Lord wants you separated because that will spread throughout the congregation. Amen. So, yeah, who's praying out tonight? I will. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I want to come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And I want to thank you, Lord God, for this day that you've given to us, Lord, that we can come before you, the true and living God, and to give you our lives, Lord. And I just want to thank you for all your grace and your mercy and your love, Lord Jesus, that we don't deserve, because what we truly deserve, Lord, is hell and the lake of fire, but you took it to the cross with you that we may live in you, Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a sacrifice. It is asking you, Lord Jesus Christ, to search the deep places of our life where we don't even know where sin is at and to purge us clean, Lord, every single day that we give ourselves over to you, that these vessels that we are living in, Lord Jesus Christ, will become clean and pure and holy vessels unto sanctification, that no more sin is named among us, that we can serve you, Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can go out into this world that's lost, dying and going to hell because your church is falling asleep, and that you can use us, Lord God Almighty, that you can instill your power within us to go out and to touch those lives, Lord, that they will be healed in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Or it will be a witness against them. Whatever the cause is, Lord, that we be obedient unto you, Lord Jesus Christ. That you are our first love. That we are married to you first, Lord Jesus Christ. And that we not think about anything else in this carnal life, Lord. That you take away all the carnal thoughts. That everything that we are going through, Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be relationship, whether it be finances, whether it be family issues, whatever it is, Lord Jesus Christ, that we lay it at the foot of the cross. And that we will take up our own cross and to serve you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. And I'm praying tonight, Lord God Almighty, for those people out on the streets, Lord, that this gospel will reach them too. That whatever they are going through, Lord God, whatever it's alcoholism or drugs or sexual immorality or just blaspheme, whatever it is, Lord Jesus Christ, that it reaches them, that you bind up the brokenhearted, 
Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that this gospel has reached us. But it just does not stop here, Lord God. And I'm praying for your strength. I'm praying for your courage. I'm praying for a Holy Ghost, fresh anointing upon this ministry, Lord Jesus Christ, that you build each and every one of us up into you and that you use our several abilities for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus Christ, because you're the only one worthy of all the praise, worthy of all the glory, and worthy of all the honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you, Lord, for being a faithful father and for not treating us as our sins deserve. Yes, Lord. Guide us, Lord. Direct us. Lead us into your truth and into all truths. Place your shield of protection around us, but set us to that furnace of affliction to purge off the, the world, the dross, the flesh, and the lust thereof, that when we come to the other side, we reflect you as that pure gold. Yes, In Jesus Lord. Christ, your most holy name, In I pray. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.